Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Online, DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM. Go the distance with Fight Night Live. The fight starts now. With Adam Catterall and Nick Pete. I don't think he's going to get up. Talk Sport, the home of boxing. Welcome to Fight Night. It's Saturday evening. You're listening to Talk Sports, and this is your home for all things fight sports. A little bit different this week as we're bringing you the show from Abu Dhabi, UFC 242 in town. I'm Adam Catterall alongside me as ever. Nick Pete covering the UFC and we will be talking a little bit about boxing as well because this week has been quite a significant week regarding press conferences for Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. You can hear from uh, everything from those press conferences courtesy of Don McGuinness a little later on in the show. Uh, but coming up we're going to be uh, hearing from Habib ahead of uh, UFC 242 and of course Dustin Poirier. That's the main event. That's the lightweight unification. That's the reason why we're in uh, Abu Dhabi uh, and therefore we'll be getting stuck into conversations with both those guys in the next hour so make sure you stick with us. Um, now then, Nicholas, we need to talk and maybe uh, give a little bit of a brief history about fight sports in the Middle East because it seems to be a bit of a thing. Obviously, we're out here in uh, Abu Dhabi at this moment in time. Last year, we had Jeddah for the World Boxing Super Series final. Um, Amir Khan's been out here recently fighting. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, this week, we've seen fantastic settings for a press conference. Let's, let's, let's not make no bones about that. I mean, the Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz press conference on Wednesday out here in, well, it was in Saudi, a little bit further north from us, was absolutely sensational. The Middle East are making a real big play, not just for boxing, but sports in general. Yeah, exactly. You know, Qatar's hosting the World Cup as well in a couple of years' time. So um, it's all happening over here at the moment. And you can see why the infrastructure is being built around. All this investment in places like Dubai and Abu Dhabi is all about tourism. It's all about bringing in uh, people from all over the world. And it's so welcoming. As we've discovered again this week, everywhere you go, it's five-star living. You know, it's five-star tourism. Um, there's new arenas and um, obviously the Formula One track were based on Yaz Island, where the Formula One track is literally just outside the, the window here at the hotel. So it's uh, you can see the Middle East is making a real push to take over global tourism. And a good key to unlocking that is hosting major sporting events. So UFC have been here before. If you haven't been here for the last five years, this is the first time in five years. But there is a commitment from the UFC to return to Abu Dhabi for every year for the next five years as well. So there's a massive movement over here to to bring fans from all over the world and putting events on like this 
this one on Saturday night is a, is a good way to do that because this thing sold out pretty much straight away. It's not just the event as well, is it, on Saturday evening? Because I was speaking to uh, Laura Woods and Ian Holloway on The Breakfast Show yesterday and just explaining how the week has been set up here. I mean, they had a Red Hot Chili Peppers inside the uh, arena. Uh, they had a concert, didn't they, on, uh, on Wednesday evening. They've had yeah. loads of little bits of things like that throughout the course of the week to really bring fans in for the whole week, the whole experience, rather than just come watch a fight, clear off home, as majority of us do on a fight uh, week by week, fight by fight basis. This week has been, listen, rock up on a Tuesday and we're going to entertain you every single day before you obviously get to fight night. Yeah, and there's a bunch of fighters here who aren't actually competing on Saturday night that have been going around to local schools and academies and interacting with the community here in Abu Dhabi, taking part in you know things over on the F1 track and everything else just to, just to raise the interest really in the Middle East that it's happening, it's here and there's something a bit special going on in Abu Dhabi all this week. I think there was another concert last night. There's yeah. a concert again tonight um, after the event. So there's so much happening out here. It's bonkers. And I think the fans that are here, we were interacting with a couple of them yesterday after the weigh-ins. And the fans are loving it. You know, they, they're like, they, they've come here for four to five days, but there's a concert every night. There's the fight on Saturday. The, the, the fighters are walking around the hotels, interacting with everybody. The, the world media is here. The, you know, I've never seen a media room so busy for a UFC event mm. than we did this week. Uh, it was just disappointing, ultimately, that Habib, the main event, didn't get to speak to most of those media, but uh, I'm sure we'll come on to that. But yeah, th- there's a real buzz around Abu Dhabi this week, and nothing quite beats fight week in Las Vegas, but I'll tell you what, this hasn't been too far away. What about the heat? How are you dealing with it? Uh, for those that are listening uh, back home at this moment in time, I know you're not going to feel sorry for us. I know you're not, right? But 48 degrees during the day. Listen, as a, a wise old man from Bolton once said, I like it warm but I don't like it this warm. <laughs> it's hot, isn't it? It's kind of unbearable. Like we're, we're in the hotel, aren't we, which is about 100 yards walk away from where the fighters are based. And that 100-yard walk, you need to hydrate yourself ready for that. It's mm. insane. I went. Uh, I haven't had much of a chance to do any sunbathing as of yet, unfortunately, but I don't think you can in this weather anyway. But I went for a swim last night, and um, it, the, the sun had set. And I'm just, I was lying on a sun lounging next to the pool. I thought, I'll go for a swim in a minute. I'll catch up with a bit of social media, whatever. Just in case any of the TalkSport bosses wanted to know who actually does the work around here. I think he's just <laughs> painted the picture. <laughs> the, the, it, was, it was, you know, nine o'clock at night and their sweat was absolutely pouring off me. 30, so. 34 degrees at night time. Yeah. That's, that's legit. That's like walking around at midnight and it's still 34 degrees, it's, which but, is an interesting fact, actually, mm-hmm. for, uh, and, a, and a, a factor to take into consideration when it comes to fight night, because this is a custom-built stadium. Yeah. The aircon's only just gone in this week, you know. That could play a massive part and a massive role in how certain fights play out because to fight in that type of heat between 30 and 40 degrees, that's hard work, mate. Yeah, it is. Absolutely, it will be. And um, for a lot of guys on this card and girls, that will be key. You know, the, the air conditioning is key, but it's also the travelling from the hotel to the venue in the middle of the day under that baking heat you know, it'll just be like air-conditioned cars everywhere. The, everything will have to be managed so well. It's not just the air-conditioning in the arena where they're going to actually compete, but obviously backstage as well. They mm. need to make sure all all those areas are, are fully air-conditioned. And the thing is, it's not a it, it's a tent effectively. You know, it's a it's a metal pole and, te- and canvas tent. It's a it's an incredibly impressive one. It's a twenty million pound tent, but. St- you know, make no mistake, it's not. This is not a bricks and mortar arena yet. The bricks and mortar arena is actually being built on the other side of Abu Dhabi here. It's not actually ready. It won't be ready until potentially next year. So this year, you know, they're effectively inside a giant tent. If anything went wrong with that air conditioning, there'd be serious problems on Saturday. But listen, 
with a couple of concerts in now. There's been no complaints from anybody that went to see Jay Blavin the other night or the Red Hot Chili Peppers, so we should be fine. Something to consider that for the Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz rematch, isn't it? I know that Absolutely. it's a different time of year and it's a little bit cooler in December when these boys are going to be going at it uh, in Riyadh. But even so, 20, even if it's just 20 degrees, that's hot. I know it's hot under the lights in the O2 Arena and hot under the lights in the Manchester Arena, which Anthony and uh, Andy Ruiz are most certainly used to. Mm-hmm. But it's a different type of... This is going to sound weird now. It is a different type of heat. It's a very dense, humid heat, isn't it? Yeah. It is quite difficult to... Br- just walking around, I mean, I'm not the fittest of the guys, but it is quite difficult to breathe. So if you're actually, you know, going full on for a 12-round fight... That cardio is going to be—it's going to be tough. It is exactly the, the only way to describe it. Really, is it's like walking around with someone with a, a hairdryer on hot, blowing it straight into your face. Mm. Um, that's kind of what it feels like. Now I'm probably a little bit more Andy Ruiz than I am Anthony <laughs> Joshua, unfortunately, <laughs> and I'm struggling walking around outside. You know, so I could only imagine what it'd be like trying to compete and trying to fight under it. But you'd like to think camps at that level, you know, when there's the type of money on the table that's on the table for that fight are going to be fully prepared for everything that's out there. And, uh, you know, as I said, the, the, the arena, we're, we're led to believe the air conditioning's working fantastic over there. So there shouldn't be any issues come Saturday night. And I think we should have a... It's a brilliant card. Absolutely brilliant. Well, let's, let's talk about the history, actually, of mixed martial arts in the, uh, with, with the UFC out here in the Middle East because they've not been here for a period of time. Um, <clears throat> this tonight is actually quite a significant night for female mixed martial arts. I spoke to Joanne Calderwood, who's, who's on this card, um, and there's two female fights on there, and this is the first time that uh, ladies have competed for the UFC in the Middle East. So it's an historic night in that sense. Yep. Uh, but historically, like I said, they've not been here for a period of time, and I suppose they've been maybe waiting for a poster boy to bring back out here in order to uh, to sell this brand. Yeah, exactly. I was I was here last time the UFC were here, actually on Yaz Island. It was five years ago, um, and it was a card headlined by uh, the Brazilian... Nagira and uh, and Roy Nelson, uh, two big heavyweights, um, and it was a different time then. You know, very much Abu Dhabi in the Middle East has always had a real association with jiu-jitsu. Brazilian jiu-jitsu has always been huge in the Middle East. Uh, a lot of the royal families and stuff like that are heavily involved in jiu-jitsu. Do a lot of training, uh, support a lot of jiu-jitsu teams, the jiu-jitsu camps all over the Middle East. And when we came five years ago, it kind of felt like that MMA was a little bit like jiu-jitsu's ugly brother. You know, there there wasn't the buzz about it like there is right now. As you say, there wasn't that big marquee Muslim star to stick at the top of the bill who's just captured the attention of the world with this incredible performance. It's different now five years on. Habib is a superstar based on what he did, the way he manhandled Conor McGregor. The world has changed. This community has a superstar to, to really look up to. And we've seen that this week at the open workouts, especially uh, with the fans turned out in force for him. The kind of response that he got, the amount of questions that he was being answered, he, you know, they were, they were basically worshipping and could be played up to it fantastically. What, what, what do you make of uh, his demeanour this week? Not necessarily fans, because he's been fantastic with fans, but just the way that leading up to weighing day, the narrative was kind of being set for us that he might be struggling to hit 155 pounds because he didn't do any media scrums on the on the media day when it came to open workout. He didn't work out like you just said. He did question and answers with all the fans. Yeah. And when I spoke to him earlier yeah. on in the week, you could tell then that the, the weight cut had started. It, is 155 getting a bit of a struggle for him? Well, you would suggest as much, you know, obviously because everything you've just said there, he's not really been playing by the rules. He's been doing his own thing and that, that was the big concern. He just needs to go away. He needs to cut weight. He needs to make sure he hits 155. But the fact that he was first on the scales today, he didn't really look weight drawn. He no, didn't no, look no, like he, he was struggling. He looked good. He looked healthy. 
So I, I don't know whether it's a little bit of you know, fighters get like this after they've competed against Conor McGregor because there's the Conor McGregor way of doing things, and then there's everything else. And sometimes after you compete against Conor McGregor and you see how Conor McGregor handles himself and dances by his own tune, doesn't let the UFC protocol dictate how his fight week works out. I think Habib and others, especially when you beat Conor as well, I think Habib takes something away from that, saying, okay, well, it doesn't fit my schedule to do an open workout, to perform an open workout, because I, you know, my schedule is I train at this time of the day or whatever it may be. I eat at this time of the day. So he's ignored the, fa- he's, he's ignored the UFC protocol. I'm going, listen, I'll do a Q&A for the fans. I'll, I've showed up. I've, I'm playing my part, but it doesn't fit my training schedule to train today. And then likewise, media day. Very disappointing for, for the world media that are here and haven't had the opportunity to speak to Khabib like we have. Um, but him... Being taken away from that, it, I don't think it was necessarily about the weight cut. I think it was just about Habib kind of saying, you know what, I've done all the major press. I've done the ones I need to. I haven't got time to do, you know, uh, a big squad with, with hundreds of journalists from all over yeah. the world who are going to ask me questions have been answered in a million times. I haven't got time for it. I'm Habib. I'm the main event. I'd rather be over here doing something else. And, you know, that is the way Connor's always done it. And, uh, and you know, uh, Habib's just kind of doing the same thing. Well, he is a big superstar. And, and you're going to hear from him uh, over the next half an hour because, as Nick said, we've, we've been very blessed, actually. Nick caught up with him in London. Uh, when this fight was announced, when they did the big press conference there, and I've been catching up with him this week, and you're going to hear from Habib Gamedov, got there eventually, uh, <laughs> um, on the show next. You're listening to Talk Sport. This is Fight Night. Dustin Poirier paid in full. A lifetime's work consummates in a UFC title for Poirier. And this sets you up for a fight with Khabib Nurmagomedov for the undisputed title. This is what I want. I want to unify this belt with the best. We got a belt to fight for. Khabib, let's go! He deserves title shot. I think I have to maul him, like I do with everybody. I'm most dominant UFC champion. There's literally been no one like him in this division. My plan, everybody knows. He smashes people. What he does it isn't normal wrestling. Nermago man, I'm too good. In the most talent-stacked division, this guy mauls everybody. Khabib, he's the best at what he does. But when I do the best, it's hurt people. Justin Gagey, former champ. Anthony Pettis, former champ. Poirier gets the finish. Eddie Alvarez, former champ. What else do I got to do? Khabib, where you at? He beat a lot of tough guys. He's become interim UFC lightweight champion for a reason. But this is a completely different fighter. If you want to stop it, you have to kill me. So, when cage close, let's go. Uh, you're listening to Fight Night on Talk Sport. We are in Abu Dhabi this week for UFC 242. I'm Adam Cattrall, Nick Pete alongside me. And I think it's only fair to uh, hear from one of the people that we've been interviewing. Uh, the main man, the reason why we're out here in Abu Dhabi is because Khabib's in town. And I caught up with him uh, ahead of his fight against Dustin Poirier. He started by talking to me about how he's missing his home of Dagestan. I just see mountains, mountains from Dagestan. I want to go there. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's too hot outside. I'm feeling great, you know. Like so many years, I trained so hard, and now pays off, you know. And uh, it's like I'm 30 years old, almost 31, you know. All my life I trained hard, like science when I beginning walking mm-hmm. on the mats, you know, <clears throat> because 
in my house I have gym inside the house and father train everybody who want in the village and I remember I when I find out myself I find me in inside the gym and uh, this is uh, this is not about like I train like five years 10 years or 15 years this is about like more than 25 years train hard and I think that's why I'm here it must be nice to see it in pictures remind you of Pakistan yeah. and your people yeah. and, and, and the journey that you've been on of course you know and uh, when you love your place when you love your people and they give you respect they love you too and you know you all the time keep winning and give people motivation this is like different level feeling like you know maybe I can say this on my words but uh, this is like amazing what's it like now now what, what's it been like for you since UFC 229 I don't know it's like crazy you know why what I need now I have belt I defend my belt I'm famous I have money why I'm here like a lot of people ask me like uh, they don't understand one thing like what inside me this is about fire because uh, all my life I compete with someone and you know I want to keep doing this and uh, I have big big fire inside and I really want to compete with best fighters in the in the world you know this is not about like best fighters from country or somewhere this is about like seven, seven billion people who are the best bring this guy this is about me how are you with fame because since UFC 229 I mean the whole UFC community knew who you were but now you seem to have transcended the sport and casual sports fans now know who you are a uh, little bit hard because too famous that's why like here in Middle East Russia Dagestan Europe Everywhere where I go, like US, everywhere a lot of people come, you know, like take picture, talk, you know, everybody know you, it's a little bit pressure. Um, <clears throat> same time I like this, but uh, right now, like uh, mostly time I don't like this, honestly. Because, because when I'm training, I don't train for be ready famous, you know, I don't expect this. I, I train for fight with like best fighters in the world but same time with my winning streak it's coming uh, famous stuff and that's why a little bit hard uh, to be ready for this uh, because like uh, this is this is something new for you you know like and uh, this is can change your mind too you have to be focused you have to be ready for this and uh, Anytime anything can come in your head and you can think, okay, I'm good, but uh, this is not good. And you have to be... That's why I have uh, very good, close, loyal friends, brothers, family, and uh, we all the time communicate uh, each other and talk about this, all this stuff. And if someone does something wrong, of course, we say. You mentioned the word pressure there. Is that pressure that you put on yourself? Is that pressure that you feel with the, with the pitfalls of fame? No, I don't, I don't put myself, how I can put myself pressure. This is about like what I feel. You know, it's like, for example, if I wanna go out, like, ah, okay. it's like, it's very hard, you know? Like, 
You can't. Yeah. Li- you can't lead a normal life. You yeah. can't go to a restaurant. Because you can't do yeah, these yeah. like um, no, I, just, I, I, I like you know like traveling, everything. Maybe come to London, drink some coffee, morning. You know, watch some football. Go, yes, why yeah, not? On, you man. know, and uh, just going to restaurant, sit. You know, alone, little bit drink coffee. This is very hard for me now. You know, I have to find some place where <laughs> nobody go inside. <laughs> has that has that surprised you? Because like say, you're, you're from Dagestan, you, you grew up in Dagestan and it's a very close-knit community, but there's a big wide world out there and your success has obviously brought a lot of eyes mm. to yourself, your country, the UFC. Like you say, you can go to my country, you could go to Manchester, where I'm from, and you, w- you wouldn't be able to walk on the streets because everybody would know who you are. <laughs> yes, I know. i already been in London a couple of times and I know how I'm popular there. And you know, it's like... Uh, because London is not only England people, they have like of course, a lot yeah. of people from around the world, you know. And uh, like even like in England, the UFC is very popular, you know. It's a little bit hard to walk, enjoy by myself, you know. How, how has UFC 229 and where we're at right at this moment in time, how has that affected your hunger, because you've just been mentioning it there that it's a fire that burns inside you, you're still hungry for wanting to achieve. But how has that affected where you're at right now? Like with the UFC, with the UFC 29, two I grew up like fighter, like man, like, uh, like everything, you know, I improve everything, you know. I win this fight, I win all pressure, I win all media stuff, I do a lot of media stuff and you know, it's like, like I feel right now I'm much better fighter, much better person than I was one year ago. Mm-hmm. Because uh, like you living 100 years, you have to learn 100 years, you know. And uh, with every year, I become older too, of course. And uh, uh, my mind changed too, and I hope my mind changed in a uh, good way. Yeah. You know? He speaks quite a lot about the fame aspect now, that he can't just walk down the street and uh, and just go to a restaurant without people stopping him for cameras and all those types of things. He seems to be handling it quite well. Yeah, um, but he doesn't enjoy it, that's clear. Absolutely, he doesn't enjoy that. And it, it's interesting to hear him talk about it and the way that he acts with it compared to others. For example, Conor McGregor. We've seen what fame's done to him over the last two to three years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, completely different people come from a completely different background as well. If you, whenever we speak to Habib, he always talks about how, as a, as a child growing up, when he was wrestling and, and, and rolling sambo and doing whatever, you know, um, when he was kind of lit in and his trade, in and his trade, it was always about legacy. It was always about proving to the world that Dagestani people can fight, and then it was proven to the world that he deserves to be in the UFC, and then now it's proven to the world that he's the best lightweight the UFC has ever had. It's always the rhetoric's always been legacy with him, and that's all he ever talks about. He actually shies away from everything else. He doesn't like the, the stuff that comes with it. He's even, you know, he even opened up and said, "I don't really like the money. You know, the money's kind of grotesque when you're talking about it. The amount of money involved." Flip that the other way for Conor. You know, Conor was all about the money. Conor McGregor's always been about money. You know, it, that's all that motivates him. And to this day, even though he's got more money than sense, it's still money that motivates him to return to compete. Now, that can't be a good thing. But also, I, I also think that it gives Habib a shelf life. 
because Habib himself has said that he won't do this forever. He doesn't want to do it forever. He just wants to define his legacy as the best lightweight the UFC has ever seen. And then I think we'll see, we, we won't see him for dust. He'll be out of here and he'll probably go right out of the public eye. You know, he'll probably just disappear back into Dagestan and, you know, and, and no doubt live an incredibly comfortable life. But this is a guy that, you know, is building schools and putting something back into his own community. And from a fan's perspective, Yes, it's great to see, you know, and we love it as media to see Connor rolling around in Rolls Royces and to see Floyd May- Mayweather flaunting his wealth and his 50 gold watches and his stacks of million dollars. But really, in the grand scheme of things, Habib is so much more of a, of a, of a stronger role model in terms of that. Yes, he's got this wealth, but he's putting it back into his community. Imagine if Floyd Mayweather put some of his money back into Grand Rapids, Michigan, one of the, you know, worst, poorest... Uh, regions in the whole of America. Imagine what some of them watchers could do for that community. So, I, I think Habib himself. Yeah, we won't see him in the, in in around fight sports for long. And when it's done, he, he'll be gone. But right now, he's 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 the best, most destructive fighter in the UFC, pound for pound. He's red hot, and he's he's on a mission. And he's a nice guy. He's a great guy. He's a real role model. And once you get past that, as I say, that Russian front, once you get get to know him a little bit, you, you can't help but like him. No, and you're going to hear a little bit more of him next. Uh, don't go anywhere. You listen to Fight Night here on Talk Sport. You listen to Fight Night on Talk Sports, your home for boxing and mixed martial arts every single Saturday night. So thank you very much for uh, coming to join us. Don't forget, if you've only just joined the show, maybe you're going out this evening, um, this will be available as a podcast. So do download it, do subscribe to it. You can get it on iTunes and you can get it from the TalkSport website. TalkSport.com is where you need to be looking. All right, let's get stuck back into uh, the rest of my chat with the lightweight champ, Habib, uh, where we start talking about the aftermath of that famous Conor McGregor fight. How do you look back at what happened nearly a year ago? Do you look at it and you think, I wish it didn't play out, the ending like that, or are you at peace with it now? No, I like, everything is peace, you know, like, nothing. If I have chance, I'm I'm not going to change nothing, you know, and uh, what I did, I did for a reason, you know. This is not about, like, uh, I feel great. This is, you know, this is big, big experience for my life, and uh, and I think uh, it was great experience for me. The obviously the, it was a build-up of emotion. The what we saw at the end where you jumped the cage. For fight fans, I think there was a major contrast because fight week you were so cool, fight week you were so calm, you were mm-hmm. very relaxed, and then in that moment where you feel the tap and the fight is over, mm-hmm. it just seemed to explode. Mm. Uh, like in fight week when I have with media, like when I talk with, uh, like I told people, was October six. That's the day. I'm, I'm. This is the day. What I'm waiting for. This, you know, like October. Other days, like you, you can just talk. You know, this is not my style. It's just I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. Of course, I told people my plan. I'm going to cage, make him tired, change his face, smash his face, and you know, and uh, I do everything what I say. But everything what he say, he don't do nothing. You know, this is big, big difference between us. You know, you can talk, and if you don't do nothing, you have to shut up, you know. But, you know, it's like, I what I say everything I do inside the cage, but, okay, now he talk like, 
he did something, but he don't do nothing, you know. He, inside the cage, he just talk about like, this is just business, you know. It's like, this is show me how he weakness on his mental, you know. Okay, the, if this is just business, I'm just choke him and leave him alone. Is it done now? Is you and Connor done? Nah, I don't know about UFC, but for me, I don't like this guy because he's, um, he punch old people, he lose his mind, you know. Sometimes like when you have, when you're hungry, you're different, you know, sometimes. When you have money, you, you become different, you know. That's why this is two big difference. You have to control your, um, your emotional, like everything. You have, to, you have to control because you're a big star right now. How you can punch old people or when you're one of the best fighters in the world, you know. And you can touch people and <laughs> this guy can die, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, if you punch someone and he go down, fell down, and you know, it's like, he can die. Everything can happen. You have to control your arms, legs, mind, mental, emotional, everything. And you know, this is show how he changed with money. Because uh, most crazy things, I think, Famous or money is like almost same. Mm -hmm. And um, why do why, why, like why do you act different then? Because you're famous, you're one of the best fighters in the world. You've got money. Is it your upbringing in Dagestan? Is, is that what it is? Are, are, are people from Dagestan very similar with the way that they look at life? Oh, like or is it, or is it in Dagestan, we have bad people and good people too, like everywhere. I think about religion mm -hmm. because of religion. Religion helped me about this. Uh, only religion, first of all, and second, and uh, second, like my parents, what they give me, and uh, I think two things. Mm. What's it like now, being in Abu Dhabi, you know? The UFC have come to Abu Dhabi and you're the poster boy, they brought, let's be honest, we're here because of you. That must be, you must feel a lot of honor for that. Yeah, like, this is big honor for me. UFC make this event because of me, yes, because I'm very popular here, you know, in Middle East, uh, because I'm Muslim here, Muslim, 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 Muslim people, you know, and uh, I think this is very smart uh, way for UFC, you know. Now I'm fight here, maybe next fight, maybe, I don't know yet, maybe I'm gonna fight here too, who knows. And you know, like they, they make a couple years with Abu Dhabi contract to make show here every year and I think this is a good way and for me it's, to me, for me it's a very big honor to fight here in main event, you know, with the UFC new era, you know, because like UFC then couple years ago and now if you watch this is completely different organization and <clears throat> for me it's a big honor. Are you done with Vegas after what happened? Because a lot of fight fans would want to see you fight in Vegas again. Uh, if they give me my almost one million dollar, maybe I'm gonna think about this. <laughs> Is that the only reason? Is the no, it's not only reason. And the way of that you're treated? I'm, no, this is not only about this. Uh, because of... Um, um, because of... Uh, I just don't want to fight in Vegas. Finish. I'm finished with Vegas. I'm gonna come, of course, this is a great city, good city, sometimes, sometimes yeah. it's bad, but 
I'm not going to fight in Vegas. How good is it for this event that your friends, your family, your father can be with you here in Abu Dhabi? <coughs> yes, my father is very exciting about this. Like, we all that I'm talking with him about upcoming fight, you know, a lot of my family is gonna come and a lot of my friends, my friends from USSA, all countries, like or from Russia, Europe, from here, Middle East, a lot of people gonna come, like they already sold out mm. long time ago, tickets, you know, I need 20 more tickets, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you can help like, him out, like, let's, let's uh, get him some tickets. A lot of people gonna come and support, you know, like I can't wait. This is very exciting night for mm -hmm. me, you know, Saturday night. And what type of fight can we expect? What do you see in Dustin Poirier? What do you think he's going to bring to the fight? And what can we expect from you? Uh, I think, uh, like, I'm in very good shape. I'm in very good shape. Last almost, like, 100 days, I trained so hard for this fight. I don't train, like, eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks. I train 100 days before the fight. I beginning hard train because last time I fight in October. And um, right now I feel great. My shape is good, like how I feeling. And uh, when I go to the cage, I think I'm gonna make him tired. It's gonna be big pressure for him, you know. I'm gonna enjoy with my friends, with my father, with coach Javier on corner, you know. I wanna show like great performance. My plan, I wanna finish this guy. Honestly, I wanna finish him. You wanna put on a show? Yeah. He says, that the beef is, he's not interested in the beef anymore because he's taking care of the situation with Conor McGregor. The UFC are interested in it because we know about narratives. I don't know where Conor's at in his head at this moment in time. I don't know whether we'll see him again. What's your gut instinct? Will we see Habib versus Conor McGregor part two? No, we won't. Um, I, I, I think Conor McGregor's going to have to put some wins together. I think the ball is firmly in Habib's court now. Um, I think a big performance against Dustin Poirier, a big performance against Tony Ferguson, potentially down the line. They're the legacy fights that he's chasing right now. There's still talk of George St. Pierre, the former welterweight champion and middleweight champion, returning to the sport. So some kind of catchweight fight between lightweight and welterweight with him and Khabib would be absolutely massive for the sport. I just think Conor McGregor's name isn't really associated with Khabib anymore. I don't think that fight is as easy to make as it once was. Even Nate Diaz, the Nate Diaz trilogy fight with Connor probably makes more sense, even though Nate Diaz now is probably even closer uh, to a fight with Jorge Masvidal. Who is the right dance partner for Connor? And more importantly, when Connor's acting the way he is, and we've all, we've all seen things on social media and everything else, he seems more more obsessed with selling his whiskey at the moment than actually training. I know uh, I was chatting to a guy from SBG who was training over at SBG Island recently, and he's, he was there for a full week doing, doing all kind, part of his training camp for a, a different fight, and, and he said to me, Connor popped in for a photograph and that was it. He, he's not training at all. He's not in the gym. He's not in fighting shape. You know, any talk of him coming back in the next eight to ten weeks are absolute nonsense. So I doubt we're going to see Conor McGregor fight this year. Um, and I th again, the main reason is there's no obvious dance partner anymore. Everyone's kind of moved on. Mm. And Conor needs to make himself relevant in this sport once again. The sport has moved on. Absolutely. Because if you, if you look at the elite level of this division where Conor was once champion, Habib, Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, of course, who's uh, the interim champion fighting uh, Habib uh, this evening. Even a, a couple of the other guys that are coming through, there's some serious, serious talent there. And, and, and it's, it's hard to try and find him a match at that level, yeah. if, I, if I'm honest. Now, 
listen, Justin Gaethje, for example, is a fantastic fighter. But that makes more sense for, for a Conor McGregor comeback fight. To come back and fight Habib, to come back and fight Nate Diaz, I think he's absolutely crackers. Yeah. He has to fight some... He has to get a win. This Just guy hasn't had a win for the best part of three years in, in, in any form of, of, of fight combat since he beat Eddie Alvarez to become the champ champ that famous night in New York City. He needs to come back, get a win, maybe even two wins before then the narratives can start to roll again for Nate Diaz and Habib especially because Habib will be long gone. Yeah. Uh, that's what I mean. I think Habib has probably got three or four more fights in him, and they absolutely don't include Conor McGregor unless Conor puts himself in a position where he's where he's basically the number one contender again. Mm. And to do that, as you say, he needs to win at least two more fights to get to jump back in. Now, whether Conor decides he's going to come back at welterweight again, big mistake. Kamaru Usman's just a bigger version of Habib, really, a guy who's got, who's got a solid wrestling base, uses that wrestling base to his full advantage, and mauls people on the ground. So it, it's it's. It's a strange time at the moment and Conor McGregor's got to find his place in this world again because, as you say, the whole sport has moved on. Now, listen, this is Conor McGregor, so whenever he does come back, he's pay-per-view, he's box office, he's the biggest draw in the sport. But finding the right matchup for him is difficult. Uh, now, I know we've gone off-piste a little bit talking Conor. Um, you've just heard from Habib over the last half an hour or so, and I'm sure you've fallen in love with him just like we have this week. But another guy um, that I've really resonated with is Dustin Poirier. He's the guy taking on Habib out here in Abu Dhabi. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. We're talking about role models and Habib. Dustin Poirier most certainly is that for Lafayette, Louisiana. He's doing some wonderful pl- things over in, uh, in, in his hometown with his charity work and various things like that. And you're going to hear from him next on TalkSport. You listen to Fight Night on TalkSport. Hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. You've just heard from Habib, uh, who is obviously the main event, the main attraction out here in Abu Dhabi at UFC 242. But he does need a dance partner, and this dance partner most certainly has been flying of, uh, of recent times. His name is Dustin Poirier. I caught up with him a little earlier on this week uh, to hear what he had to say ahead of this monumental fight. Welcome to Abu Dhabi, my man. Good to be here. The uh, the fight of the night king, I think people are re- referring to you as out here, you know? Yeah, I think it is. I think Lots of kings walking around out here, yeah. <laughs> well, well, you saw, I think, when you arrived here on, on Friday, the love from the fans. First of all, did that take you by surprise, like for when, sure, you, when you got sure. off the plane? It was crazy, man. That was intense. I, uh, it was awesome. I was telling them that I've never been, like, received any place I've fought at. You know, I, mean, I have a lot of fights traveling all over, and uh, this has been, like, the nicest, most welcoming place I've ever fought. Well, that obviously comes from the performances that you're putting into the octagon, you know? Like I was saying a moment ago, the amount of bonuses, you're on a little bit of a streak for bonuses at this moment in time, you're putting it all in the octagon, and I think fans appreciate that. For sure, that's just the way I fight, man. Every time out. Saturday, expect the same. <laughs> um, regarding, well, actually, it's quite a significant week for you this week, isn't it? Because it's not just, obviously, the unification of the titles. Wedding anniversary as well? Ten-year wedding anniversary tomorrow. Big celebration. Yeah, yeah man. Talk to me about how... Obviously, your marriage and your, and your relationship with your wife has, has helped with your, with your fight career because you seem a real tight unit. You, you three at home seem a real tight unit and it seems to be that everything comes from that as a source. Originally, my wife had to, she dropped out of college to move with me to Florida to chase my dreams. So she put hers aside, you know, so, but it's all paying off. I'm seeing quite a lot on your social media with your, with your little girl. She, uh, she, she's the champ herself, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It seems like she's walking around and enjoying the belt a little like, uh, like that on that night. Yeah, she's crazy, man. I, I got to bring, she'll be upset. I got to bring this one back for her. <laughs> was, that the, was that the final message when, she, when you obviously stepped on the plane and said, Daddy, 
You know, yeah, yeah. I could do, I could do another one of these. You know, yeah, exactly. She, she knows what's going on. She knows she calls it punch punch. She knows I'm going punch punch, and <laughs> she knows Tuesday we're going to the zoo. So it's good. I got stuff to look forward to, and she does. That mentality seems to be going wider now with your with your hometown in Lafayette. The, you're setting up charities there and helping guys out there. That again, you were talking about providing opportunities for people that don't necessarily have those opportunities given to them, and you've set up charities there in order to to help some of your own people. Yeah, man, me and my wife, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have been done without her as well. She's, you know, we're partners in everything. The belt's half, you know, she, she, she has half the belt. Um, the charity is, is half her doing, you know. Um, yeah, but we're, we're doing a lot of things right now with, with the charity. We've done, done some great stuff in the past, raising money with fights, but I have a platform with fighting that other people who, who in need don't, so I'm just trying to use it as a megaphone to get, get their, their voice out there and, you know, to, to, I'm already going to get in there and fight for my family, but if I can benefit other people in the process, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing to do. Man. I find it, it is important, like, obviously, even speaking to Habib, and obviously he's big on his hometown and his home people and stuff like that, and obviously listening to the way that you're speaking, it's a good example maybe to set for younger fighters coming through, just to remind, listen, man, you have that platform, and yeah. it's important to give back. Yeah, you know, like, nowadays, the way the sport is, it's all about saying crazy stuff and... and one-liner so media can get clickbait and and that's what sells fights but i'm trying to make being a great person great again that's what i'm trying to do what's what's the final ambition then with the good fight foundation what what type of things do you want to achieve with it of the actually this fight we're raising money i'm going to auction off my my whole fight kit and my gloves for uh, the pygmy people of uganda they recently they had a flood and it ruined the water well they have at an orphanage there so we're doing a um, solar powered water well and water tower and, um, you know, we partnered up with Justin Wren, another f fighter. Uh, he has a foundation called Fight for the Forgotten. Mm -hmm. And that's our goal. You know, last goal, we built a, a playground for disabled children in Lafayette, Louisiana. And for this one, we ended up reaching out to him and found out about the flood in Uganda. And it just came together really organically. So we knew that was what we needed to focus on. And that's what we're raising money for right now. Mate, it's so refreshing to hear because you come across so many guys that get to the top, that become a champ, they're starting to get paid well, life, you know, different opportunities come their way, and they kind of forget there's a bigger world out there. I mean, it's, yeah. you've obviously got a good base at home in order to keep your feet on the ground and, and, and keep things real. Right. Mm. Right. I'm just trying to make people smile and feel good, man, and I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to fight regardless. So if I can affect other people with what I'm going to do already, that's, that's, that's what needs to be done. Let's talk about the fight of the weekend, right? Two champs coming together in a purpose-built stadium, you know. In the Thunderdome. <laughs> in two, two men in and one man leaves. <laughs> it, is, it is a bit Rocky Balboa, isn't it? You know, it's a, it, sure. it's a little bit, it's, it, it's a movie script. Do you feel that? I do. I, just because of my career, what, what I've had to go through to, to get to this point. And uh, then that, obviously the guy I'm fighting, the undefeated champion, yeah. um, who, who's maybe never lost a round, you know. That's like a Rocky movie, but that's my life story. But you must, uh, during your life story then, during, during your professional career, did you ever feel that you would actually get to this point? Were there moments in your head where you think to yourself, you know, maybe, maybe it is a touch too far, I don't know. I, I knew I was capable of doing it. I never said that it's never gonna happen, but you know, I've had setbacks that, that are, I got back to my house after fight weeks that didn't go my way and like, what am I, What's, I would ask myself what's going on when I look in the mirror because I'm doing everything I could possibly do to be the best fighter I can be. 
you know, I'm, I'm showing up every day, I'm pushing myself, I'm sacrificing, I'm, I'm doing it, crossing all the boxes, you know, of everything I need to do. And, um, but that's fighting. That just took me a, a few years to understand that. And, um, but, but I just stay true, stay true to the path and, and now we're unifying the belts yeah, yeah. here. Your, as well as obviously all your attributes, one of your big strengths seems to be your, your output, your cardio, the way that you can just go for 25 minutes and it doesn't seem to phase you. Do you see at the weekend that that is going to be quite important uh, to get your hand raised at the end of the fight? It's, it's important in every fight, you know, to keep pushing, to keep a champion's pace, to take rounds from these guys, you know, because they aren't, you know, you, you got to take it from these guys at this level. And uh, Khabib's a guy who wears on, on people, you know, till he breaks them. So I need to be able to, to go for 25 minutes. And that's what we've done. That's, I've come in a little bit lighter this fight week. I've pushed my cardio harder than I ever have. And I think I'm in the best sh shape of my life. And I'm, I'm going to show that Saturday. He's used to dictating pace, but I'm sure you're in, in the back of your mind. You, it's all about you dictating that pace, stamping your authority as soon as that first bell goes. It definitely is, but I can't get overzealous and, and push it and try to hurt him early and leave my feet planted for, and let him get in on my legs. You know, it's a, it's a fine line I have to walk in this fight. This is a championship fight. I, I have to be very smart in there, take the risks, calculate it, and, and, and keep it moving. Does it, does it make it slightly easier to prepare for something when you know exactly what he's going to do? No, this has been one of the hardest training camps of my life, you know. Uh, we know what he's going to do, but... Nobody's been able to stop it. Everybody knows what he's going to do. Um, but just every day, it was almost like a strength and, strength and conditioning session every day in training camp because I got these guys, these wrestlers on me, trying to get away from them, you know, um, carrying their weight, getting up, building up off the ground over and over and over again. It, it was a tough camp, you know, but it's going to be that kind of fight. Talk to me about atmosphere because you're used to fighting over in the States. The crowd are crazy. In the UK, where I'm from, the crowd absolutely literally go crazy. What are you expecting in, in the purpose-built uh, Thunderdome <laughs> at the weekend? I don't think they're going to be quiet. I think it's going to be loud. I think they're expecting good fights. And, um, you know, when this fight got announced and the location got announced, I thought I was going to be coming here again in enemy territory and, and, and booed and stuff. And that might happen. But, man, it's been, like I said, the welcome and, and the fans, even people who tell me, you know, I'm, I'm with Khabib, but you are a great fighter, you know, like... It's been very respectful, and uh, I think they just want to see a good fight. When you have your head hand raised at the weekend, what next? Because you would think, from a lot of outsiders looking in, that's the pinnacle. Can it get, can it get bigger for Dustin Poirier after the weekend? I mean, going out there and stopping a guy like Khabib, I, I really feel like that would put me in mixed martial arts history as one of the best, no, the best lightweight fighter. And uh, we'll see. You know, then it's about legacy and it's about being a champion and, and respecting that belt. But uh, I'm just focused on Saturday right now. I've, I've, heard, I've heard you speak, actually, about um, re respecting the sport as a champion. And that is obviously giving other guys who you believe have earned the right for an opportunity at the shot of the belt, as you most certainly did yourself. And obviously Tony Ferguson's name and people like that come in there. Where, where do you see the pecking order in, in this lightweight division? Because there's always going to be the conversation of Conor McGregor in the background, isn't there? Especially, sure, as, yeah. especially with an opportunity for maybe you to get that win back after a previous defeat to him. Yeah, but uh, 
you know, the guys lost a few fights in a row. Tony hasn't lost in uh, years, you know, years. Six, seven years maybe, maybe longer. Uh, Tony's the next guy. If we're keeping this a sporting event, we're keeping this a sport and respecting rankings and respecting people's work that they put in, there's no question about it, Tony's next. What are your views on Connor at this moment in time? You know, I, I, I don't like to speak about other people, especially when they're not around. Uh, I hope he gets himself together, you know. He went from apologizing from, to absolutely no one to absolutely everyone. So, you know, that's, hopefully he pulls it together. You've obviously been in the octagon with him. What learns do you take from that particular moment? Because I remember you speaking at the time about the psychological effect, I suppose, of that particular fight and how that has to help you move forward. Is that, the, is that the biggest gain that you take from it? Yeah, you know, in the lead up to Connor fight, I couldn't post a picture on, online or, or his fans were crazy, you know, like uh, attacking my wife and, and just online, of course, uh, just crazy nonstop threats and, and people saying you suck and stuff like that. And at that time of my career, I was reading stuff and I, I was not taking it to heart, but thinking about it like, oh man, what's but that helped me for the future because now I don't care about that stuff, you know. And, and in this fight with Khabib, obviously, he has a lot of Russian fans, and it's, it's like that. When I, anything I post online, it's going to be 100. The first 100 posts are going to be uh, people talking crap about me losing to Khabib or something like that. So it kind of made me immune to that stuff. Talk to me about the fight, then. How does it play out at the weekend? I think he's going to try to get in and, and keep me against the fence, um, try to wear me down. I need to keep it in the middle of the, of the octagon, obviously. I need to use my boxing, my range, my rhythm, my timing, and just keep him on the end of things. Um, I think he's gonna try to get him, stay in my face and try to wear me down. He, he's openly said that. You know, maybe he'll come out and try to box. Maybe he's been working on his boxing, but I think he's gonna be diving for my legs. And then the hand gets raised. Yeah. Online, DAB Digital Radio, and 1089 and 1053 AM. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night. The fight starts now. With Adam Catterall and Nick Pete. I don't think he's going to get up. On TalkSport, the home of boxing. This is Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall, Nick Pete alongside me. Uh, we're out in Abu Dhabi for UFC 242. And uh, earlier on this week, a little bit further up the road, I know that's an exaggeration when I say further up the road, um, Riyadh was the destination for the first of three press conferences this week for Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz, the rematch. Uh, well, the London one was on Friday, and Don McGuinness went down there and stuck his microphone in the big man's face. This is what he had to say. Well, it's, it's a long few days, Anthony, I'm aware of this, but it's interesting coming into the press conference today that on the left-hand side of the big billboard above the table is Ruiz. And on, and on the right-hand side <laughs> is Anthony Joshua. But it's hard for us to take that in. It's yeah. been a while now, but, you know, being the B-side, I mean, how, mm. how do you deal with that? How do I deal with that? It is what I have to deal with. It's in front of me, you know. And how I deal with it is organise a rematch. Mm. We're going to get it on. I lost, but I'm face it like a man. You know, I've got to deal with it. And I've dealt with it in many different ways. Look myself in the mirror, speak to people, ask myself questions. And honestly, the best way to deal with it is get an immediate rematch and train, train like I'm insane and get these belts back. 
you've lost before your third amateur fight. Yeah. How, how much have you thought about that now since this pro defeat? Do you know what? It, it gives me reasoning and understanding to myself is that consistency is who I am. I'm a consistent person. I'm not someone who kind of falls down and falls onto cushion. I fall down and I have the armoury to kind of take the impact and get up and go again. Because if I was that type of person that would have failed, got hurt or got beat, and I'm like, man, I don't know if this is for me, there wouldn't be this conversation right now. But the consistent mindset and the driving determination is what got me through. So I feel like that's embedded in me because that can't be taught. That was too early to teach me those things at that time. So with this fight coming now, with that same mindset that I have, with a little bit more experience, been a challenger, I've been a champion, I've unified the division, I've been knocked down, I've been beat, still alongside all the things that I had when I was coming up, it should put me in a good position to face Andy Ruiz Jr. in the rematch. Did you ever feel in these professional years invincible? Clearly now you've, you've got to deal with not being that, but did you ever feel? With Andy, I, I, I thought, yeah, I could beat this guy. Not invincible. But I know who I can beat. And I thought, yeah, this is like a stepping stone to the Wilder fight. So we went to go to his backyard, in the Wilder's backyard, to kind of search for the fight. But I realised I was in with a real good fighter. And the good thing is now with Andy is that he's another champion on my record. I could say, yeah, alongside fighting Dylan for the British Championship, I fought Charles Martin for the World Championship, I fought Vladimir Klitschko for the Championship. For Joseph Parker for the championship. Povetkin was a former champion. Now I'm fighting Andy Ruiz in the champion. And in my 23 fights, I would say, you know what? I'm taking proper competition. And I think rather than looking at Andy as a stepping stone, I look at him as a champion. That should do something, you know, not skill set. I am that I am. But in terms of mind stimulation, that should definitely kind of get me roared up in the morning. Do you think there's any case whatsoever that he could have gone soft I mean a lot's made of the fact that he's bought the house he's wearing the bling he's got the watch he's, you know, he's got a very flash sombrero these days yeah. you know? <laughs> do, do you buy into that at all or can you not even think about that I would tell you I hope he's gone soft <laughs> do you know what I mean I hope he has gone soft but a fighter wants a fighter forever the man can fight and he's going to throw punches he's not going to get in there and he's not going to fold unfortunately He's going to get in there and he's going to throw punches. But what happens is that there's a certain time in a fight where you question yourself and you say, you know what, I just, I just, certain things are ticked in a box now that weren't ticked before. So is your will as strong as your, you know, what's the saying? Is your will as strong as your why? The way, the will in the way. Something like that, right? And that are the questions that he'll find out that night. And uh, with everything that you mentioned, the house and stuff, he deserves it. He definitely deserves it. But as we say, you shouldn't get too comfortable. And that's where the saying, stay hungry, comes from. You mentioned there about Will, and you also mentioned Deontay Wilder just a few, a few words ago. Yeah. Now, he was in our studio a few weeks ago, and it, okay. he, he said you quit. Okay. Now, how do you, how do you respond to that? Knowing so what you know and, and everything else that you're saying to us. I'll take that as an opinion. And I feel like, okay, you look at quitting, and I'll say, so getting up off the canvas after taking about 50 punches to the head, <laughs> like repetitively isn't quitting if I, if I wanted to quit I would have, after the second one I would have been like hang on this ain't going my way I would have stayed down 
but I feel like it was a, a call from the referee that I may have been able to to handle a bit better. Like the ref counted seven, eight. I've got up, I've walked to the corner. He's got the gum shield in his hand, so he's come over to me. So I'm waiting. He's like, he grabs my waist, kind of moved me forward a bit. So I step forward, then he pushes me back a bit. So I go back. So I'm thinking, is he gonna put a gum shield in my mouth? And then he's gonna put, you ready to fight? Go. I didn't even have a gum shield in my mouth to fight, and he's waved off the fight. So in my mind, it's not as if I was like, ref, I don't want no more. I'm in a bad way, or after the third or fourth or fifth knockdown, I was like, this is enough. I kept on getting to my feet, which is a sign of a man who wants to continue. So um, he's entitled to his opinion, but there's my explanation. Just a final one, because again, the Saudi thing is going to keep coming up in terms of fighting there. Now, you could have made more money elsewhere, I think you've said. Is, is, that, is that a case? Or was, if it's not just about money, then with Saudi, are, do you actually think you can help open that place up? You know, would you fear for your, your female members of family? All those kind of things. I mean, are you using this surely as just a, a positive thing? It's, 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 a great, it's a great question. It's a great question. As you said, it's like, sports is a great way to open up the gates to different cultures, different people. And I'm a boxer, so they're putting on a boxing event. It's one thing for me to sit back here and talk about it. Like, they need to make change and this, that. But I'm going there. I've been there. I've seen it. When you talk to me, you talk to a man who's been there. So I can tell you about the positives of Saudi Arabia. It's like if I was a... I'm Nigerian man and I come to UK. Or I'm sitting in the UK and I'm saying, England this, the West that. Da, 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 da. Then I get here and I think, hang on a minute. This is actually a decent place. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Until you get there, it's hard to judge from a distance. And that's why it's important for us to travel, understand and look at the event and what it has to host. I saw a nice region, they were very hospitable, and I think if yourself and uh, the boxing community does come, they'll have a lot of good words to say about Saudi. I managed to go for the gross fights, so I've been. You've I've been? been, I've been, I've been How did you enjoy it? It was, it was an interesting experience. I'll, I'll Explain, say go on. It was different. It's different. That's not clearly. a bad thing, though. No, listen, travel, a travel say, man. I'm with you. I'm with you with the travel thing. Yeah, well, travel man. It's different, is and it could be problematic for people. Maybe we, uh, but again, with this visa thing, the ticket, then great if that's going to make yeah, life easier. Yeah. But I think people are going to have to be aware that even with the relaxation, there's going to be a lot they've got to be mindful of. And again, this the, is what you know, women is what, and everything else. It is yeah, different. I understand that, and this is what we have to appreciate in terms of certain countries have their certain laws England we abide by the English law and as I'm fighting in Saudi I have to abide by Saudi law I can't go there and I can't come to England if I'm a if I act a certain way in a country and I come here and act a certain way and it doesn't fit with their law I'm going to get in trouble so it's important to appreciate what the laws are and abide by them and if you do that you're going to have a great time anywhere in the world for us as, uh, as people that follow boxing and cover boxing it's important that he he gets the job done because we were so close to to wilder fights and fury fights and various things like that and it's it's far more interesting and fight fans might disagree with me on this it's far more interesting having three in the mix than two in the mix yeah. you know because of the merry-go-round that we could genuinely go on i know politics gets in the way and the the reasons as to why certain fights didn't happen last year but if anthony joshua can get back as unified champion 
Then all of a sudden, with knowing that we've got Fury and Wilder on the horizon at the start of next year, the clamour for actually making the fights, because they've, they've had a shock. They've had, they've had a bump in the road and they've just had a reminder as to how quickly yep. things can turn in this division. One punch and away we go, you know? The clamour will be immediately then, right, let's go. Let's go and do undisputed championships. Let's get straight back in the mix. Let's be talking about Wilder fights. Let's be talking about Fury fights and let's be making those fights over the next 12 months. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk, obviously, of Wilder saying if Ruiz beats Joshua for the second time, I'm going to scrap the Tyson Fury fight. I want to fight Ruiz. That makes sense. They're both signed to Al Heyman, the same management company in the US, and Al Heyman will want to keep hold of those belts. But under anything, Deontay Wilder sees Andy Ruiz who is a non-puncher, as a soft touch. He can collect all the belts. Now he's the undisputed guy. Wilder's holding all the aces now. Uh, both Fury and AJ have to come with a begging bowl to Deontay Wilder. And that's even if AJ continues boxing. If he was to lose to Ruiz, he, he may well walk away from the sport. Obviously, we don't want that to happen. We want AJ to win all his belts back on December the 7th. We want these big fights to happen. And you know what? Spin back to prior to Andy Ruiz's first fight in June. It, was, it seemed impossible to get a straight answer out of all three of them. To be fair to AJ, he seemed to be the one campaigning to fight either Fury or Wilder more than the other two. Mm. They've got their own kind of agenda. They're doing their own thing in the US. They're trying to build that market in different channels and whatever else. But it seemed to be AJ, you know, from, from what I'm led to believe, that was yeah, really yeah. banging on the door saying, let's make these fights happen. Now, AJ post Andy Ruiz losing the way he did in, in, in New York at Madison Square Garden, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury look at that AJ and go, well, that's easy work. I'll take that fight all day. So I think the fight, you're right. I think those fights are a lot closer than they were prior to the first Ruiz fight. I think if AJ wins these belts back on December the 7th, I think the negotiations could be a lot more straightforward because both Wilder and Fury be thinking, if Ruiz can do that to you and he can't even punch, all I've got to do is land once. And it's not the first time AJ's been wobbled. Dillian White straightened his legs. Klitschko basically had him out on his feet at Pavekin. one point. Pavekin had him mm. wobbled, you know. So they will look at that and go, AJ's not got a great chin. So all I've got to do is connect. And, you know, I think Fiori truly believes he's the best heavyweight on the planet. Wilder truly believes he can knock out any man on the planet. 2020 could be sensational for heavyweight boxing if the stars align. And, you know, we're, we're optimists, aren't we? Let's hope they do. Uh, do stick with us uh, because you're going to hear more from that press conference. Uh, Dom's been catching up with Eddie Hearn and his thoughts uh, ahead of this monster fight in Riyadh. You're listening to Talk Sport. It was the next best one. We looked at all avenues. Uh, you've got the you've got Fury, busy, Wilder, busy, Ortiz. Um, he had his issues, so he didn't step up to the challenge. Um, the other guys weren't as good as Ruiz. Ruiz was keen. Finally got his name on the signature, and the show must go on. It was 1883 when John L. Sullivan rocked the early MSG. We've seen the greatest heavyweights defend their prize world possessions in this mecca of boxing. Jack Dempsey, Joe Lewis, Joe Frazier, Larry Holmes, Lennox Lewis, Vladimir Klitschko, so many, and of course, Muhammad Ali. What a stage, what a setting for AJ's US launch pad.
all good. It's a little blip, a mistake I made. And um, I would say that I'm just going to add to what we already have, correct my wrongs, and look forward to the rematch because I feel it's a fight I can win. Uh, this is Fight Night on Talk Sport. We are uh, in Abu Dhabi this week for UFC 242, but there's a lot going on in the world of boxing this week. We've seen three press conferences involving Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. Uh, and the one that took place yesterday in London, Don McGuinness was in attendance, catching up with promoter extraordinaire Eddie Hearn. Of course, uh, there's a little bit of chat regarding certain YouTubers that are going to have a knock in California uh, in the not-too-distant future. So we're going to talk a little bit about KSI and Logan Paul, but first of all, the rematch between Ruiz and AJ, courtesy of Eddie Hearn. Well, Eddie, you've just spent the last three days in three countries, three press conferences with AJ. What have you read into his mental state, his kind of where he is really going into this this camp for the fight? Um, I think he's in a good place. You know, I think that uh, this is a situation where um, he knows he has to win. I think he has that challenger mentality back again. I think he's hungry for the fight. Um, and I think ultimately he knows he has to win the fight. So it's going to be difficult. He's going to face a very confident guy in Andy Ruiz, but he'll be ready. You're very close to the camp, obviously, but he's talking about changes and lifestyle changes. I mean, do you see any kind of technical changes, any changes in training, any changes with people in the camp, if you like? No, not really. I mean, he, he knows what he has to do. He has to be mentally more focused, probably coming a little bit lighter for this fight. You know, he's training for a big 20-stone guy in, Andy, in a Jarrell Miller, you know, who's going to sit on his chest. And obviously this time around, he's not. He's fighting a guy that moves well, he's got very fast hands, so he's got to adapt to that. So... Um, I don't think there'll be a lot of changes into the, the training team per se, but just more about being being mentally focused for this fight. You've been around every kind of fighter. What do you think of Ruiz now? Because he's had his big day. He's had his cup final. He's yeah, had he's his, just his very good fight. He's always been a good fighter, you know. And he's got. I mean this disrespectfully, but he's a simple guy and he's got a simple life. So he's not phased. That's why when he got decked at Madison Square Garden, he stood up and went, "Do you know what? Let's have a go." rather than the other 99 out of 100 heavyweights that would have backed up, covered up and got stopped. So he's dangerous because he doesn't really have any fear. This time, will he have fear? Because he actually has something to lose this time. And it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. I think you're going to see a great fight and I think the whole world will be watching on December 7th. And that early October, the tickets come out and obviously there's this situation with tickets and visas. Are, are you fully happy that everything's been addressed in terms of women and all the rest of, of course, it? It's every, not going to go away until obviously people no, get because, there, I suppose, Because, is it? I mean, I've experienced it. I've been. Amazing. What an experience. Um, women welcome, men welcome. You get a visa with your ticket. We'll see you there, Saudi Arabia. Don't miss it. Of course, other news with you recently is this KSI thing, mm. which obviously people are very interested in. Yeah. Uh, you're smiling now. Yeah. Why, I just why think are you it's smiling? So funny because I love I love rubbing people up the wrong way. Um, I can't ignore it. I'm a promoter. It's probably the biggest fight of the year, right or wrong. Um, last time around, 20,000 people at Manchester Arena in a day, 1.4 million pay-per-view buyers. We can't ignore this new wave of digital content. These new wave of ambassadors and heroes to the younger generation which are rightly or wrongly YouTube stars my kids I want my kids role model to be Jessica Ennis it's not it's some girl on YouTube who's doing videos it's the mad world we live in but I watched the first fire it was entertaining this time around I said guys no head guards 10 ounce gloves and you've got to turn pro if you respect the code do it for real 
match. This time, someone's going to get knocked out. It's going to be epic. The whole place is going to be going crazy for these two going at it. But underneath that, if we're going to bring this new audience into the sport, show them the beauty of the sport. World Championship boxing on the undercard. You know, 50-50 matchups. So that this huge global audience tuned in can at least fall in love with the sport and we can keep them. Because as a greedy promoter, all I'm thinking about is, wow, if I can bring that audience into boxing... It's great news for us. And Billy Joe Saunders, he must have dreamt of being on the undercard of KSR. No, but that's where, that's where people are so naive and stupid. It's like, what would you rather do? Box in front of four or 5,000 people and an audience or box in front of a sold-out staple centre and 20 times the audience that you would normally fight in front of? So these are just people who you know, mentally aren't you know, educated enough to understand promotion, to understand the commercial world that we live in today, which is exposure big audience, live events, events that everybody's talking to. In the eyes of the, the social media world, which as we know is a huge business, will be fixed on Staples Centre, LA, September, sorry, November the 9th. And you know what? You lot will be there and all. And you'll be milking it to the heavens. <laughs> Just a, a quick one. Kel Brook, yeah. what, what's going on with Kel? He's training, back in camp, with, getting, with that, yeah, getting that weight down. Might even look at Saudi Arabia, we'll see. And a final, final one. Just a very quick one about, sorry, women's boxing. Mm-hmm. I just a quick one about Katie Taylor mm-hmm. and, and what you've done. You're talking about, obviously, this new generation, mm-hmm. now Logan Paul, but Katie and women's boxing was a leap into the unknown, I mm-hmm. suppose. How's that experiment, it's if that's fantastic. the right I world, mean, next gone? week we've got Madison Square Garden, um, Amanda Serrano against Heather Hardy, the Battle of Brooklyn. It's huge. Katie Taylor is one of the biggest stars in world boxing. She'll box in England on November the 2nd. Um, the rematch with Pierce Soon will come early next year as well. Uh, you've got Breakhouse, you've got Clarissa Shields, we've got Savannah Marshall now as well, Terry Harper, Shannon Courtney. I mean, it's amazing times we're in boxing. Rarely a show uh, that we do will not have a female bout on the card. Future's good for that. Future's great for everything, man. Right, serious question. KSI versus Logan Paul, good or bad for boxing? Good. Go on. I just don't hate it at all. I think uh, these guys put a lot of bums on seats, a lot of young fans, that you know, the, the generation... Uh, a couple, well, a couple of generations below me, to be totally honest with you. This YouTube generation, you know, these 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 kids aged eight and nine up to fourteen and fifteen, they're the guys that are uh, engaging with KSI <clears throat> and Logan Paul. They're the guy. They're the, they're the kids that are on YouTube, and they're the kids that are going to buy these tickets at the Staples Centre, just like they bought tickets when the first fight happened uh, in the UK. They're going to get there. They're going to realise there's levels to this game. Mm. They're going to watch, potentially we're hearing Billy Joe Saunders, Devin Haney on the card. They're going to see world-class boxing. And then they're going to see these these two complete and utter you know, novices go at it and realise there's levels to it. If 50% of that crowd decides to buy tickets for the next boxing show, then it's been a success. Mm. What, what, do, what does it do for the young, up-and-coming amateur boxer, you know, that is... Doing start the, a YouTube channel. Doing, doing, is that what you're saying? Build their social media profile. Start YouTube, get on Twitter, get on. If this is not a lesson to every young fighter coming through, the importance of marketing yourself via social media in this day and age, then what more do you want? Don't mm. complain about it. Don't go, wait a minute, these, these guys are YouTubers, they're not even fighters. Why are they main event? Don't do that. Go and start a YouTube channel. Go and document your training every day. Talk to the camera. Let people know what... Because that's all these guys do. They're just, they're just their personalities just put out there via, while they're playing video games or whatever they may do. Now, KSI does a lot more now on various YouTube channels. He kind of does pranks and he does all kinds. He's become a YouTube celebrity. 
and likewise Logan Paul. So yes, it's kind of you know they they're coming into a sporting event and they they're not sportsmen, but it's the it's the set it's the ticket sales they will attract and more than that the pay per view sales. You know they did twenty five million YouTube views for their first fight, which was streamed on YouTube. That's insane. Now they fought in the middle of the afternoon and. By nine o'clock, it was all done. Everyone was finished because they, their audience has to be in bed by 10 o'clock. So they know what they're doing. They, they understand marks. And I'll tell you what, this fight will probably get more social media interaction than any fight in history. Now, boxing needs to learn from that. Don't, don't knock it. It is what it is. You've got to evolve. You've got to move with the game. The, 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 the boxing seems to be, right, um, very stuck in its ways. Yep, the Blazer Brigade. Has been for a long time. People just like, oh, don't like change. What are you doing? The, the sad thing is the world is changing. The world is moving Absolutely. constantly. And therefore, if you don't get on board with that, you're going to end up getting left behind. I'm Listen, the fight itself, it's not going to thrill me. It's not like watching Lomachenko for they're crying novices. out loud. They're too novices, of course, it's so. just going to be two lads having a bit of a knock. However, what you've got to understand is what it's doing for the growth of the sport. These boys combined of 40 million YouTube subscribers. 40 million, right? There's no TV channels, there's no TV programs commanding that type of audience. No. These lads are doing this week by week on a regular basis. 20 million each they've got, right? So if you put that into perspective of how many of the YouTube subscribers are going to watch this, how many of the YouTube subscribers are going to buy a ticket, let's say half of them are, in, are interested in, and they pay attention to this. That's 20, 20 million people, yeah? How many of them then start to like boxing? Yep. Even if it's 1%, that's 200,000. 200,000 new boxing fans that then might say, do you know something? I watched the KSI Logan Paul fight, but I also saw that world champion, that Billy Joe Saunders, and he were, you know, he does, listen, Billy Joe Saunders showboats in the ring, doesn't he? Yep. So the, the fans might see that and go, oh, when's he fighting again? And then the next time they see him fight, he's probably going to be fighting on a Tyson Fury card or, a, or a, you know, or something else like that, you know? Yeah. I know he's a matchroom fighter now, so it might be on an Anthony Joshua card or whatever. Then all of a sudden, you, you, that, listen, we've all got our own narratives of how we got into this sport. I mean, let's be honest. The majority of people watching this, the first interaction with boxing might have been a Rocky movie. Mm -hmm. that, that's Hollywood. So you've watched that narrative, fallen for it a little bit, and then started paying attention to maybe Mike Tyson in, in the late 80s. That's, that's my narrative with this and then obviously you fall in love with that and then you're into Nazim then you're into Eubank yep. and Ben and away we go uh, you listen to Fight Night on TalkSport there's plenty more to come uh, we're in Abu Dhabi for UFC 242 uh, if you've only just joined the show you can download this as a podcast you heard from Habib and Dustin Poirier a little earlier on uh, Anthony Joshua Andy Ruiz and uh, a bit of Eddie Hearn has also been and gone as well so you can download this podcast as soon as the show finishes uh, via iTunes and via the TalkSport website so make sure you get stuck in next we're going to talk VAR in boxing what do you reckon boys and girls here we go you listen to TalkSport Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. 
With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. You listen to Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall. Nick Pete with me. We're in Abu Dhabi. It's UFC 242. That's why we're out here. But there's a lot going on in the world of boxing. Last weekend, in fact, there was a lot going on in the world of boxing as we got extremely excited for Lomachenko versus Campbell. It was high-level, high-risk chess. That's the way it played out. But on the undercard, you will have seen Charlie Edwards fighting uh, in his world title defence. Um, he ended up losing the fight. Then he ended up winning the fight. What are you saying, Adam? I don't understand. What, how, would, how does that happen? For the first time ever attending a boxing event, I saw uh, a result overturned in the ring um, by, the, by the sanctioning body, by Mauricio Sullivan, who is the president of the WBC. Charlie going into the ring was the WBC flyweight champion, uh, taking on his mandatory challenger, Martinez, uh, last weekend. And let's be honest, he was in a lot of trouble. Charlie went down, and whilst he was down on the ground, Martinez sank another punch in. And it was late. It was extremely late. And because of the video that was being shown in the arena at the time, the whole crowd saw that. Obviously, the crowd then turned on the decision of Martinez being crowned the new WBC champion. Maurizio Sullivan, the guy that sanctioned that fight for the WBC, 
got in the ring and overturned the decision and made it a no contest. And yeah. therefore, Charlie keeps his belt and he's still the WBC flyweight champion. So basically, the decision was VAR. Off a of video uh, analysis, the decision was overturned. Are you going to start to see this become more prevalent in the sport? No, I don't think so. I think it was a it was a freak thing, really. It was a one-off, and the circumstances all kind of fell into line for something bizarre like this to happen. First and foremost, Maurizio Sullivan is within his rights to do that. It's in the small print of the WBC's, uh, you know, fight organisation regulations that the president can overturn a decision if he feels the wrong decision has been made. Normally, uh, normally that happens though in hindsight, doesn't it? It doesn't happen there and then at the ring. Of course, which was which was really unusual. But, you know, ultimately, and we'll dig into it now, ultimately the right results happened. It should have been a no contest. Mm -hmm. It was a terrible low blow by Martinez. Now, I was able to speak to referee Mark Lyson in the aftermath. Uh, I caught up with him. He's a, he's a good friend of mine, Mark. And unfortunately, uh, one of the best British referees we've got. It was his first world title fight. And for something like that to happen was soul-destroying. And when I was speaking to him a couple of days after the event, I'll be honest, he was devastated. He was absolutely devastated that it happened. But he's, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm man enough to, to hold my hand up and say I dealt with it wrongly. So him re recalling it to me, he realised it was a low blow, but he'd started the count by the time it computed in his brain. And again, the regulations with the WBC is you finish the count and then you deal with something. And he, So while he was counting, Mark said he he was he was in his mind he was hoping Charlie got back to his feet as long as he got back to his feet then he could go right stand in the neutral corner and he was going to go and disqualify Martinez but he wants he you can't stop a count midway through was his explanation you've got to count it through but by that time now he's counted Charlie out so everyone explodes then the decision's been made Charlie's been counted out it just seemed to be a lot of circumstances that just kind of ran away with itself. And unfortunately, you know, he didn't get the chance to handle it the way mm. he would have liked. Um, it was a, a freak thing. Martinez, you know, let's be honest, Martinez shot himself in the foot because he, he didn't was gonna need win to land fight. that blow. No. You know, Charlie had dropped because of the barrage of shots Martinez had hit him with. He was on the ground and he was struggling anyway. But Martinez give, get, effectively handed him a get-out-of-jail-free card by landing that left hook to the body, which was completely unnecessary. Charlie was on the ground. It was the right decision to disqualify him. But hopefully it's, it's not a trend moving forward. I don't think um, boxing, with its politics, deep-rooted politic, political issues anyway, I think to have a VAR person at ringside watching replays back of certain incidents throughout a fight mm. whether it be low blows or whatever it, it just wouldn't be good for the sport at all we've seen it come in in certain states uh in the sport of mixed martial arts haven't we in, in the ufc where they go to a a guy who's sat octagon side watching video things like for example low blows and various things like that ipox and what have you that yeah it, there is analysis there it's not everywhere it's not in every state no only in certain states but also if you if you call during that mixed martial arts fight to check something on the video monitor as a corner you say well he's just done this check it on the video monitor the rules in mma are well that's the fight's over now we're going to go and check the video monitor. And depending on the results of that, either someone will win, someone will lose, or we'll just call it a no contest. You mm. can't just go, oh, actually, no, it wasn't a low blow. It's fine. Let's recommence with the fight. The fight's over. So, and again, that's only in certain states. It's only certain organizations that would do it and everything else. Listen, VAR, for me, has been an absolute disaster for football. I want it out of football as soon <laughs> as possible. So do not, please let's not talk about bringing it into fight sports as well. <laughs> but ultimately... 
because of VAR last week, I know it's not technically VAR, it was Maurizio Suleiman watching yeah. the screen and then making a decision. The right decision happened because it, people, will have, people will have gone home from the O2 Arena last weekend. They will have seen what happened and Martinez would have been champion. Yeah, potentially. He, yeah, that, well, he would. If the, if the decision's not overturned, that's what Sorry, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happened. He was walking away with the belts. Yeah. Off the back of off the back of a low blow, technically. Foul. Yeah. Off the back of a foul. Um so the right result happened. So why not bring it in if it helps us get the right results? Well, it wasn't VAR, it was the president <laughs> as well. Let's make that clear. Yes, of course. President but Solomon it, it was because he saw it, it on the screen. Watched it live and he's gone, right, okay, let's deal with this now. And he Before felt it. he felt the reaction of the fans who also saw it on the screen and yeah. went, Whoa, this is ridiculous. Would would he have made the same decision had the fight been in Mexico? I don't know the answer to that. Only he can answer that, can't he? Nope. <laughs> Only he can answer that, and I'll tell you now, that wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have been overturned there. It would have been appealed by Charlie Edwards and whatever else in the aftermath. But I think the, the fact that it, we were in London, it was a matchroom card, and I think that's a reason why it was dealt with immediately. Uh, anywhere else in the world, I think Charlie Edwards is, is, is now complaining about having his belt wrongly taken away from him because of that because of that low blow went to a grounded opponent. But um, but as you say, Martinez shot himself in the foot because he was well on top. We said this all last week. This is the most competitive fight on the card. Charlie's obviously a world champion. He's defending the world, his world championship against his mandatory challenger who stopped Andrew Selby. This guy has ferocious power in his hands for yeah. a flyweight. And I thought at some point he's going to catch Charlie. How does Charlie respond to that? And we saw him catch him. We saw the barrage of punches coming in. Of course, it was a foul, but with, if you take the foul out of it and Charlie gets up, I personally could only see one winner at and, that point, obviously. And yeah. that was going to be a brand spanking new champion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Martinez corner, you know, they will have had a word with the fighter afterwards because, you know, obviously he's got, he's come, put yourself in Martinez's shoes. You know, he's worked the hard way to become the manager contender for the WBC title. He's brought over to London. It's on a massive bill. You know, the greatest boxer on the planet's in the main events. You're in effectively one of the co-main events. It's the moment you've been waiting for your entire career. And the fight just goes your way. From the opening bell, it goes your way. You've got the champion in trouble. Your adrenaline's up. You've silenced the O2 arena. Everything in that moment, your entire life's work in that split second has come. And you just want to get him out of there. You just want to hit him with everything and get him out of there. And that one extra shot, that one extra punch that was completely unnecessary and that was a foul has cost him, you know, the world championship belt. For Ma- I think for Martin, as I say, he deserves another shot at the title. Yeah. But let's be honest, I doubt Charlie Edwards is going to stick around. I think Charlie Edwards already talked about moving up in weight anyway prior to that fight. And I think now it would make sense for him as the champion to go, well, I'm going to go up to Superfly now as the flyweight champion and get a shot at the title up there and, and leave Martinez to kind of pick up the pieces with the, with the flyweight belt. Yeah, because in the, in the immediate aftermath, it was, listen, he's the manager challenger. We're going to do the rematch, blah, 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 blah. Don't get too excited, fight fans. Um, mm. Listen, it might happen. Because Charlie Edwards is a solid guy, he's a solid stand-up guy, but I would imagine that maybe his team, his advisors, his promoter might just say, like you've just said, yeah. maybe maybe we should just stick on a couple of extra pounds and maybe lead these flyweights to crack on. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because Martinez just looked so ferocious, didn't he? He looked absolutely ferocious in there. And as I say, you gotta get, Charlie got to get out of jail free card with that low blow. Mm. Uh, you listen to Fight Night on TalkSport. 
uh, Adam Catterall and Nick Peets with you uh, throughout the course of uh, this Saturday night. Uh, we're in Abu Dhabi for UFC 242. Earlier on in the show, we had Habib and we had Dustin Poirier with us, having a little bit of a chat about their uh, stellar uh, fight in Abu Dhabi, of which you can get on the podcast. It will be available after this show. So please subscribe to us. We do this every single week um, and it's available on iTunes. Fight Night is what you're looking for and it's... Uh, on the TalkSport website, TalkSport.com. Make sure you get stuck in. Uh, now, last weekend, we obviously saw Lomachenko versus Campbell. In the corner of Vasyl Lomachenko was his good old mate, Oleksandr Usyk, who was in great form, cracking the jokes and preparing himself, actually, uh, for his comeback and his uh, first uh, professional outing as a heavyweight. We're going to be talking about the prospects of this guy and what he can do to this division next here on TalkSport. This is Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm Adam Catterall. Nick Peake's with me. We're in Abu Dhabi for UFC 242. Um, last weekend, we were in London for Vasyl Lomachenko versus Luke Campbell. And a man in attendance always gets as excited when we're in his presence. Just the thought of him coming and, uh, and tearing it up at heavyweight gets me going a little bit after he mopped up the cruiserweight division and became the undisputed cruiserweight champion off the back of the World Boxing Super Series. Of course, I'm talking about Alexander Usyk. He is... 100% when he retires, he's going to be a Bond baddie. 100%. <laughs> he is going to star in a James Bond film as the villain. There's no question about that, is there? Absolutely no question at all. <laughs> um, well, we heard this week that he is uh, back. We, we thought that he might be fighting a little earlier on in the year uh, against uh, Carlos Takam. Uh, Usyk got injured. He's now had his rehab. He's back in camp and he's ready to rock and roll. And it's going to be Tyron Spong. That's who he's going to be fighting uh, for his debut at heavyweight. And anybody throwing shade on this particular fight, give your head a wobble. And I'm going to tell you why you should give your head a wobble. Alexander Usyk, over the last two to three years, has been to every champion's backyard, whooped their backside, and uh, become the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. If he wants a little tune-up, if he wants a little introduction to the heavyweight division, he is more than entitled to have a little tune-up. All right? You can't be fighting champs in everybody's backyard every single time you step into the ring. Uh, Taron Spong, I get it, is a former MMA fighter. He's 13 knockouts through 14 fights. You might never have heard of him. Let's be honest. The whole point of this is to introduce Alexander Usyk to the heavyweight division. I've got a funny feeling my colleague looking at me right now is he's, he's going to shout me down. But I'm okay with him having a little dance before we move on to the bigger boys. Yeah, do you know what? I totally agree. You know, Tyron Spong is not a boxer by trade. He's a Dutch kickboxer. He made his name uh, on the K1 circuit, kickboxing at the very highest level. He's had three. This is the third chapter in his fighting career. He is a fighting man. As you say, he had a couple of fights in MMA. Not many back in, I think it was about five years ago, he had two or three fights in MMA. But he's, he's largely known as a kickboxer and his kickboxer at the highest level. Um, you know, throughout the early part of the 2010s, he was fighting the likes of Peter Ertz and Melvin Manoff and uh, Alistair Overeem and Gokken Saki, you know, mm. superstar names in the world of kickboxing. And he was beating them all. He was right at the top of the tree. And then um, suddenly around 2014, 2015, he said, I've had enough of this now. I'm going to try something else. And he's been doing professional boxing ever since. Uh, he's based over in the US, but as I say, he is, he is uh, Dutch uh, nationality. But he can bang. He's got heavy hands. He, he he knows how to fight. He's a fighting man. He you know he's he'll be in there and he and he'll see Alexander Alexander Usyk 
as the cherry on the cake, if you like. He won't be intimidated by Usyk. As I say, I've just rattled off some of the names there, some of the greatest kickboxers in the history of that sport. So he won't be intimidated by Usyk at all. I've, I've got to be honest, knowing Tyrone Spong and having spoken to him in the past and done interviews with him around the world of mixed martial arts, I also know that Tyrone Spong is notorious for pulling out of fights. Um, so I, 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 you know, I can't really say you're a little bit wary. Career, you're a little bit wary, but I'm a bit wary whether Spong and Usyk will actually happen on October the twelfth. But if it does, listen, Tyrone Spong will come to fight. I think. Don't get me wrong, Alexander Usyk, he's just a, you know, he's an XL version of Lomachenko. He lights anybody up, certainly at this level. I think there's only half a dozen guys in the heavyweight division that are, are really even at his level, and I only say that because of the size advantage they would have over him. Mm. I think Usyk is a genuine threat to all the heavyweights we've been talking about earlier on in the show, and to see him get his show on the road in the heavyweight division against Spong on October the 12th, I think it's a brilliant opponent. Let's not forget, Usyk did compete in the amateurs at uh, heavyweight, super heavyweight, so he's been here before, and he, know, he knows he, he knows the, the the job ahead of him with the size, the size of the guys that he's going to be fighting against, and uh, his... His skill set is going to be is going to be problematic for a lot of these heavyweight fighters, and I'm talking about the top boys, the elite boys. He's the un, he was the undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. Evander Holyfield did uh, a very similar thing, didn't he? And he transcended quite well into the heavyweight yeah, division. Well. And this is no disrespect to uh, Evander, even though he was technically brilliant. I think footwork wise, Usyk is unbelievable. Yeah. I think his hand speed, his shot selection. Everything about Alexander Usyk, we should be getting extremely excited about him competing at heavyweight and taking on the likes of a Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. I mean, can you imagine that? That's just yeah. going to be like an episode of Strictly Come Dancing between them two, isn't it? You know what I mean? High-level chess. Absolutely. You know, and even and even AJ, you know, because AJ's been mortalised now by Andy Ruiz. You know, you, you think that AJ is so big and so strong, but he's also, you know, he doesn't move the way Usyk moves. He hasn't got the same shot selection that Usyk has got as well. I think Usyk, for me, is a genuine threat to everybody in this heavyweight division. Um, and you touched on Evander Holyfield there, obviously, who was the former unified cruiserweight champion that went up and became heavyweight champion. Usyk's actually taller than Holyfield, you know, so, and Holyfield didn't look a slouch when he was up a heavyweight. No. It, don't get me wrong, it's a slightly different era now, you know, you've got three guys there who are six eight, six nine, or whatever they are, so Usyk will be giving away size, size advantage to these guys, but uh, when it comes to technical boxing, Alexander Usyk boxes circles around Deontay Wilder, Absolutely. Well, this is the word I wanted to lead the conversation, just to just just for people to maybe get excited because we like talking hypotheticals, don't we, in the world of boxing? As I look at this current heavyweight division right now, the only person that gives Usyk trouble is Tyson Fury. Yeah, and I'm including every man and his dog in there. And I know you're a big fan of Daniel Dubois, for example. Yeah, young lad there who can whack a bit. I just think Usyk's a little bit further down the road. Boxing IQ wise, in order yeah. to uh, to negate all the strengths that Daniel Dubois would bring to a fight, for example, AJ exactly the same. Wilder, like you've just said, I think his footwork could just be an absolute nightmare for Wilder. He, at end of the day, Wilder's big strength is one punch knockout power, but at the end of the day, you can't knock out something that you can't see or can't catch. Yeah, you, you can't hit exactly. Uh, I think that's Usyk's advantage over them all is that technically he is absolutely superb. His footwork is unreal. Again, his shot selection, his ring IQ is very, very high. And, and a lot of these big guys um, are quite robotic. You know, they, they, they're easy to hit. They're easy to move around. They can be quite predictable. They do rely on very 
similar shot selections, the same old combinations, the strong jab, and then once they've buttered you up with the jab, then they throw the, the overhand right. They can be quite predictable. Deontay Wilder's probably a little bit different from that because he's yeah, actually he's very unpredictable, yeah. but he's also very sloppy, falls over his own feet, his footwork's abysmal. You know, it, it, you know exactly what he's trying to do. He's just trying to land that big right hand. And for someone like Usyk, who's just far superior boxer, that would almost feel like a bit like bread and butter. All he's got to do is keep his chin tucked in. And I think he would absolutely school Deontay Wilder. And Deontay Wilder is one of the guys that we're talking about at the top of the tree. I think you're right. I think the only guy that causes him problems is the same guy that causes every single person in the division problems, and that's Tyson Fury. And mm. that's because genetically, mm-hmm. it's in his DNA to be a fighter. He's Not only that, though. He is a fighting man. He's big. He's long. And he knows and he how kno- to use it. That's the key thing. He knows how to use his size better than any of those big heavyweights. He protects his chin magnificently. He uses his, his, his range magnificently. He has got fast hands for a big unit. Great footwork Fury, as well. And his footwork's excellent. Fury versus Usyk <sighs> would be sensational. And I actually think we're going to see it as well. I think we're going to see it at Do some you? point. Yeah. Do you genuinely believe we'll that we'll get that fight? I think, uh, I think right now Tyson Fury's really got the fire back in his belly. He's loving being back in the mix again. And I think Usyk's going to get fast-tracked. You know, there's, Put it this way. If things don't go well for Anthony Joshua on December the 7th, you better believe Matchroom have got a new heavyweight star that they'll be pushing towards Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And it'll be Alexander Usyk. He's the only guy that's going to keep Matchroom relevant in this heavyweight division because we still don't know what's happening with Dillian White. And AJ, after successive potential successive defeats to Andy Ruiz Jr., you know, he won't be putting pressure on these guys at the top of the heavyweight division. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. As Nick said, October 12th is the the uh, destination for his fight with uh, Teron Spong. Hopefully, I mean, I know we've been blessed and we've got, we have got we have seen him in the UK against uh, Tony Bellew. It would be nice to actually see him in there against someone who isn't our mate, so therefore we can fully uh, fully get behind him and fully support him. I mean, maybe people listening to this right now on that particular night were supporting Usyk, but the majority of uh, British fight fans were probably in the corner of uh, Tony Bellew. Don't get me wrong, you were in awe when you saw Usyk do his thing, but I think it would be nice with him being a matchroom fighter, if at some point we can get him back in the UK, maybe you're right. Maybe it is the uh, the uh, Tyson Fury fight. Who knows? Yeah, listen, I think we will see him back here more than anything based on the fact the response that Lomachenko got against yeah. Luke Campbell. You know, that it felt like you were in Kiev that night. It was unbelievable. Everyone was there to see Lomachenko. And I think Alexander Usyk will have felt that and gone, okay, this is, this is a good place to be based because it wouldn't surprise me, you know, Lomachenko struggles to sell out the small hall at Madison Square Garden. And yet here he is in London selling out the O2 Arena. And that was him. And it was and him that sold I know he's dancing with Luke, but it was mainly him. Exactly. And I think Lomachenko against another is going to sell out the O2 Arena as well. And I think Usyk was ringside. <clears throat> he's seen it and thought, it's not a bad place to be based. It is. Um, you listen to Fight Night on Talk Sport. We are on location this week. We're in Abu Dhabi for UFC 242. But as I said, there's been plenty going on uh, in that world of boxing. Um, We have heard from Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz a little earlier on. So this will be available as a podcast for you. So please get yourself stuck in uh, and have a little bit uh, of a listen at your leisure because there's plenty more guests still to come, including Luke Campbell, who's been speaking to Jim White this week uh, on TalkSport. And you can hear that conversation next. Don't go anywhere. This is it. The time has come. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night. With Adam Catterall and Nick Pete. You're better than that. On TalkSport, the home of boxing.
This is Fight Night on Talk Sport. Earlier on this week on our station, Luke Campbell came in, sporting a cracking black eye, to speak to uh, uh, the one and only Mr. Jim White. This is obviously off the back of his fight last weekend at London's O2 against Vasil Lomachenko. Uh, he began that conversation with Jim, uh, talking about how painful it is to say he lost. Listen, I, I knew he was going to be... Um going to be the certainly the toughest fight of my life um and you know it's, i've known this guy for years so i know what he's capable of um but i also know what i'm capable of as well and you know people ask me that question and i'm like well for me the most of the rounds was was um very close uh i didn't think there was a lot in it i was a little bit disappointed in the scorecards because that really really did not reflect the fight yeah, not not in your view. So so what were they? I mean, they they suggested you were roundly beaten. It was like 119, 108, 119, yeah, 108. I, which is an absolute joke in my opinion. I mean, the um, Andre Ward and um, Timothy Bradley, who know boxing, you know, they had it. Sure. They had it level until I took a knee in the eleventh round. You know, I thought it was close. I I thought I won four to five rounds out the twelve round fight. Um, you know, so I didn't feel like the scorecards reflected the fight, and mm. I, you know, a, a lot of other people thought the same as well. We we, we got your 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 post fight reaction, of course, at the O2, and I, yeah. as I say, I've seen I've seen a lot of that. But you've got time here with us on Talk Sport. Yeah. What was he up to in the ring? What kind of fighter is he? What did you have to watch for? What was unexpected? It, Why is this guy so blinking good? It's just um. He's just a very smart guy, very hard to hit clean. Um, you know, if you caught him with one shot, you're not going to catch him with the same shot again. Um, his his judgment of distance, of coming in and out of range, was was excellent. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, what do you do with that? What did you, what did you think at the time, Luke? Do you think I'm I am up against it here? I know it's going to take something special, or did you still yeah. think before the final the final bell that you could do something? Yeah, listen, I was always in the fight. Um, I was always in the fight. And, you know, like you said, it's before the fight happened, I always said in interviews that you're going to see a little bit of everything in this fight. You're going to see um, thinking. You're going to see a bit of a chess match. You're going to see it go. You're going to see his go toe to toe. You know, you're going to see a little bit of everything. And, you know, I think we delivered that. Um, obviously, I, I'm gutted because I came up short on the night. You know, and it's it's they're really it's really painful for me for me to say that. You know, I got you know I got beat. I got beat. It's painful for me because when you train and live for something, and you do something every single day, and it's your passion. And you know, you it's them words don't come out easy. Well, I praise you, mate, because I thought you were exceptional. I I didn't get to watch all of the fight, but I was reading a lot of comments and. They said you were magnificent to go toe to toe with someone like that who's who's world world class and and you did and you did rock him as well and yeah. he, and and I thought when you did rock yeah. him go on mate go knock him out I was thinking trying yeah. so credit to you but Thank what you. I was gonna ask to you is you know after a fight you struggle to sleep do you is it that because of the adrenaline adrenaline yeah, and stuff I like mean, that you, with all the excitement all the nerves adrenaline like it's peaking so then when it's all over you, you gotta come down. So like I never sleep the night of the fight. Maybe an hour, I might get an hour and two hours max. And then the following night, I'm sort of the same. Never really sleep, and then all of a sudden, I've just I'm shattered. And then mm. I'll I'll be out for the count, 
and then it'll be another four or five days until I can get a good night's sleep. I have to sort of really tire myself out and then to be able to switch off and get another good night's sleep. Quality. We're, we're going to take questions uh, and no doubt there will be many from listeners, uh, Luke, because you've got a lot of fans out there. 81089, uh, you can send them in to us. Get texting right now. There are those, and this is easier said than done, I would have thought, Luke, yeah. who would say, post-fight, do you regret not throwing the kitchen sink at him? Do you regret not being more adventurous and thinking, I will have to go for the knockout here? Well, the thing is, um, you know, I, I don't regret anything because I couldn't, I couldn't go, I couldn't just go in there careless, like willy nilly, no. just start charging in because I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave myself wide open and just gonna, I'm just gonna make it easier for him, you know. With everything that I had to do, if I wanted to go in there and, uh, and try and try and hurt him, try and knock him out, I had to do it smartly. You know, I'm in there with a guy that that's lost one fight in in over 400 fights. I, you know, a guy that that knows the ring, a guy that's been molded from four years old yeah. to be to be the best at boxing. Did, did it go through your mind at all? Look at the end. This is my chance. Here it is. I'm going for it. Knockout. In the latter stages, was there one moment that you could have done it? You didn't do it. Well, if I could have done it, I would have done it. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know that's it. Like I said, it was very hard to it clean. He was smart. I mean, the, there was a few occasions where I ate him in the ring, um, you know, and, and you see that he's backing off and he's he's gone for a walk, he's gone for a little move around because, and, I, and I'm the one that's pushing him back. Yeah. You know, there's a few few occasions that I ate him. Um, but like I said, he's, he's just very smart at what he does. Um and, you know, it didn't quite come for me. Will you fight him again, Lomachenko? Do you want to fight him again? I'd love to fight him again. I feel like uh, if I got the opportunity to fight him again, I feel like I could push it more. Collins and Evertonian, big fight fan. Collins asking, look, ask him straight, if there was a rematch, would you go about it differently? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd make the right adjustments I'd need, um, I'd need to make. You know, I looked at the performance the other night when I watched it back and I just thought, oh, I can be better than that. You know, I seen a few little mistakes I was making, and and a few little tweaks here and there. And I thought I I, I can be better than that. And you know what? I will be better than that. Well, Matthew and Hull is saying, and he obviously knows his his boxing. Any regrets, Luke, that he didn't switch to orthodox and vice versa much more often than he did? That might have won you it. Um, if he knew what I was like as a as an orthodox fighter, he definitely wouldn't have said them words. <laughs> <laughs> I've never switched in my life. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. What's the reason? Because I'm terrible at orthodox. <laughs> I'm a exactly. southpaw through and That's through. That's when to fight him, Clinton. Exactly. Yes. That's when you're going in with Luke Campbell. <laughs> I'm nah, a southpaw through and through. <laughs> well, southpaw's awkward, isn't it? O- awkward for the other fighter, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, this fight there was two southpaws. Yeah, you know, it was both southpaws, so that just makes a different fight. Anyway, so one cancels the other out. Because I remember the great Jim Watt years ago, southpaw, and that was such an advantage to him. Yeah, it can be. There's a lot of fighters out there that don't like fighting southpaws. Do you know something? In the conversation there that Luke's having with Jim, and he's talking about that he believes the fight was a lot closer than the judges would allow us to believe. I can understand what he's saying because I thought a lot of the rounds were close. Don't get me wrong. Luke was in trouble in a couple of those rounds. I thought he was going to be put out there in the sixth. Mm -hmm. um, And obviously he was knocked down in the 11th. The rounds were close. 
but I still gave them to Lomachenko. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's not like he was just getting absolutely smashed to bits every single round. Yeah. But did he do enough to win? I mean, he's saying the four or five rounds. Is he? It, I can say two, three. Yeah. I can. Say, I can definitely say. I can definitely say. You know, two real strong rounds that I thought Luke done well in. Um, I, I scored it. 10 to 2 really in rounds I'll be totally honest with you but there was there was rounds where Luke was working his work rate was higher than Lomachenko and maybe that's what he's thinking but if you look at those rounds he's taking a lot of Lomachenko's taking a lot of Luke's work on his gloves um, nothing really was landing was clean Yeah. Um, and it, it always seemed to be at Lomachenko's pace I think sometimes with close rounds it's about who's dictating the channels and who's dictating the work and Lomachenko from start to finish dictated the pace of that fight so listen I don't know where Luke's coming from he, you know he, he he kind of he danced he danced with the, the best fighter on the, the planet devil. yeah he, he danced did. with the devil he did he, he fought the best fighter on the planet went the distance had in his eyes, brief moments where he felt like he potentially could have done more. And I'm, we spoke in a, we did a podcast straight after the event. And while I was, you know, a pro- bit more outspoken than I should have been, what I was saying was, Luke will go away and kick himself because there was times in that fight when maybe he should have just gone, you know what, let's just go now. Let's just put it all out now. And at no point did Luke do that. And I feel like the conversation there with Jim highlights that a bit to me where he's come away going, ah, I, d- I didn't give it all I could have done. Like, you know, saying I, I think I won four rounds, kind of clutching the scores because you still lost the other eight, mm. you know? So I think Luke himself has come away from that Lomachenko fight saying, ah, I give him too much respect. I didn't roll the dice. I didn't gamble at any point in that fight. I didn't really gamble. And that's what he's got to live with now. And that's that for me, that's what that conversation with Jim is resonating with me. I, I spoke to Sam Maxwell, who fought Lomachenko twice in yeah. the amateurs. And I said, what, what the hell did you fight him twice in the amateurs for? And he said, well, the first time, I got hoodwinked. I got told, you're fighting someone. And I turned up, Wade, and he went, oh, that guy isn't here. Lomachenko's here, so you're fighting him. And it was like, what? I'm fighting the two-time Olympic gold medalist? Are you kidding me? But he said, four months later, they said they had another tournament. And he said, I'll fight. Can I fight Lomachenko? He said, because I got in there, I give him too much respect. And yes, he was the best that I ever boxed. But I wanted to prove something in the second fight. Because in the first fight, I thought, oh... I should have just went for that moment. I feel like Luke's in exactly the same place. Mm. I'm convinced Luke Campbell will be world champion. Absolutely. At, at some point. Any other guy on that night, I think Luke, Cha- Luke Campbell is the world champion. But Lomachenko is just too good. He's too good for everybody in this weight class. Mm. This is, this is going to sound horrible. It's like, it's like sometimes in football, there's just a, a team that's just too good. You know mm. what I mean? And then when that team clears off, everybody else then, it becomes a lot more competitive. I think... That once Lomachenko clears off from 135 pounds, those belts will get scattered, and then I genuinely believe Luke's going to at least pick, pick one, up one of them. At yeah. least one of them, he'll pick one up. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and you know what? It, it's a fascinating weight division without Lomachenko. You know, oh, you've yeah. got Tiafimo Lopez, you've got Devin Haney, Richard Comey. You know, Richard Comey, of course, the IBF champion. It's so exciting. And if, John Va- if indeed Javante Davis is moving up, Oof. throw him in the mix with those guys. There's, including Luke, there's five or six guys there that you think, wow, that division is absolutely magnificent. Mm. The problem is, at the moment, they're all second fiddle to Lomachenko. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see Lomachenko go back to Super Feather. I would love to see him clean out that division after he's done it at lightweight. But the reason I wanted that because Javante Davis fight is so attraction, yeah. attractive. But if Javante Davis gone up, I don't know. It's a weird world, that weight, like, lightweight division right now. But there's a lot of guys just waiting for, uh, you're right, Loma to clear off so they can they can kind of have their moment. Come on, you've had your fun now, Loma. Yeah, exactly. Clear off, lad. <laughs> Do us a favour. Come on. 
Uh, now, earlier on in the show, you heard Don McGuinness talking to uh, Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz, and, of course, uh, Eddie Home. Listen, we've been, we've been working him hard this week, Dom. He's been out and about uh, up in Manchester talking to uh, Joe Gallagher and Anthony Crawler. Uh, and you're going to hear both those conversations over the next half an hour here on Fight Night. Don't go anywhere. This is TalkSport. This is Fight Night on Talk Sport. We're in Abu Dhabi for UFC 242, but there's a lot going on in the world of boxing, uh, as you've been hearing throughout the course of the show. Don't forget, this is available as a podcast directly. As soon as we finish, uh, you can uh, you can download it and get it on your iTunes or via our website if you need an Android feed, talksport.com. Uh, we've had Habib, Dustin Poirier, Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz, and Eddie Hearn all on the show, and you can hear from them. Like I said, via the podcast. And the guests don't stop there because we've been making Don McGuinness graft this week. That's right. He's been out and about sticking his microphones in various people's faces. Uh, in Manchester, he's been at the Gallagher's gym speaking to Anthony Crawler. You'll hear from him in the next 15 to 20 minutes. But first of all, his trainer, Joe Gallagher. Uh, we got his opinion, obviously, on the rematch between AJ and Ruiz. But first of all, um, the relationship of one of his fighters, Callum Smith, with his promoter, Eddie Hearn. Some concerning noise coming out of that camp uh, as to what's going to happen with Callum, with his next fights. So let's get the law down from Joe. Listen, Callum's always um, been, a, been a free agent. He's always boxed on the match room, but it's always done as a, a shake of the hand on one fight at a time. Um, I just think it's got to the point now for, for Callum himself. He's seeing all this money being thrown around, all this zone money, all these fighters getting so much money. And Callum's been felt as a, an afterthought, and he, and when you keep getting told, you'll hear all the time. Eddie said oh, the World Box Super Series is the worst thing for him. He won it, but no profile is. If you keep telling someone that all the time and keep putting it out there to all the media time, they all start believing it. But when someone knocks on your door one day and goes, Callum Smith, and say, well, I think you can be pay-per-view material, and I think you're worthy of this, and Callum goes. Well, hang on, I've always told I was this and it was that. Your head turns a little bit, so um, you've got to stop using that as, oh, I don't have no profile, that's, that's down to Sky Sports, who have the material to put knockout reels out, you're the promoter to promote him, the fighter. you just seen at the weekend, Campbell and Lemachenko. I thought if you walk down the man in the street and asked him who was Lemachenko, they wouldn't have had a clue who he was a month ago, two months ago, but through the uh, promotion of the event and everything else. A lot of people know who that Lomachenko fella is. Um, yeah, so Callum there, he's got a few offers, he's considering, spoke to him yesterday, he's playing golf today and um, they're on the table. It's a decision that it's up to him to make and he'll make it. And if, like I said to you, we have, it's got a great working relationship with Eddie. Eddie's been very good to me, the fighters in the stable and uh, Callum Smith. And if Callum decides to choose to stay with Eddie, then he'll do that. There's, there's no bad blood, there's no anything. It's just business. And you find this an awful lot in business. Eddie most will be a lot of agreements in the past. Out of 100, 98 of them went in Eddie's favour. Just happened so this time, this one or two, isn't going at his favour and we're disagreeing and going, no, we feel we should be on more money. We, 
so that's all it is and like promoters they're, they're like oh hang on a minute um, yeah so that's it so whatever Callum chooses to do if he fights on matching that'll be down to Callum whether he fights in America that's down to Callum he, the, the, the decision will lie solely with him at the end of the day my job as a manager um, was to go out there he asked me to go out there um, see what was on offer brought it back to the table and it's up to him now to, to, to choose So as a, as a trainer or manager or both what, what's the fight that you would want for him next? For Callum um, there's lots of good fights out there I think um, it's very hard because there's a, a political warfare going on in boxing at the moment and you've got uh, Al Heyman with his stable of fighters as well as Benavides Caleb Plant and um, Caleb Truex he has Chris Eubank so straight away we can't get them fights. And then you've got uh, Golden Boy or Canelo. But you can't get Canelo because Canelo decides who he fights. Then you've got Triple G who under zone. So Triple G decides who he fights. So you can't force that. And then you've got Eddie who's got Billy Joe. So when people say, oh, Callum, I ain't getting the fights, I've got to understand Al Heyman's trying to freeze Eddie Hearn out of the American market. Bob Arum's got top rank and he's got all the light heavyweights. So we have to go to go top Aram if we want to like ever. It's Heyman for there. Or it's in so it's hard to get the fight. So the fighters apart from that that are available. Well, the very far and few between this talk of a Billy Joe fight, that needs building to make the big fight that we want it to be at Anfield. So we can't get a U-Bank. He's tied in a contract to Al Heyman who won't work with Eddie Hearn. So the fighters are there. Most probably I'd say a David Lemieux is a good fight for him. Um, well known. Um, and a children off most probably um, yeah, but there, there isn't that many to tie up to because Eddie doesn't have a say in any of them fighters do you understand? obviously would love Canelo if someone can uh, talk him into it I was surprised when we were in Mexico for Liam how many Mexicans came up and said that they didn't like Canelo they wanted Callum Smith to beat him they, they didn't like him which, which surprised us but uh, yeah that, that's, listen, that's, that's the lottery ticket that's your Ricky Hatton Floyd Mayweather that's a uh, that's it, that's uh, what we want. Um, but we can't sit around and um, we'll just see now what, what Eddie can do. I know John Ryder um, has been put on us as our mandatory. Um, when Callum won the World Box Super Series, that fight was made very quickly with John Ryder and his opponent at the time um, for the mandatory position. And um, they've exercised that now to uh, make that fight happen. So uh, it looks like it'll be John Ryder, where, when. We'll see. So um, we've got to deal with our mandatory now, and then after that, then um, see what's on the horizons for next year. Billy Joe, I mean, you, you, you're happy with that, but it need time. That's what you say. Yeah, when Frank Warren phoned me early this year about fighting Billy Joe, it was in I think it was April time, and it just won his world title. And Frank, no problem. I said, but we have been promised two fights by Eddie um, before the end of the year. Um, this is after Hassan Adam uh, to fight at the end of the year. Once we've done them, we'll do that. But I think that's a stadium fight, and we can't do a stadium fight in the winter. So that's definitely an outdoor fight. If you kept Billy Joe and kept him a couple of fights, and Eddie does Callum, that's a, a huge fight next year. Chris Eubanks a huge fight. Um, he'd bring put bums on seats. Um, but Billy Joe isn't a household name and doesn't sell many tickets and before people say well neither does Callum Smith exactly so what they have to do is they have to build it and um, if both kids can get a couple of fights in before between now and then they can build that towards uh, much of the Anfield show unless Triple G I know Callum Smith has told Eddie and he'll fight Triple G at Anfield that's a, that's a fight we'd have Callum Smith said the other day he'll fight Kovalev just go out and make him and let's try and get Callum Smith them big fights 
Final one because there's a press conference this week and it's all going on now. And just because of your own experiences of fighting there, Joshua and Ruiz finally got done for the desert. Yeah. And uh, I mean, first, what do you make of him fighting there with your own experiences with Callum? I know you enjoyed it, but they're, they're going out there now. It's going to be a huge circus. I mean, what do you think of the location? Um, I'm not familiar with the location where it's at. When we went to Jeddah, um, we were just treated like royalty. I feel it helped Callum an awful lot. Um, being pulled away, if he would have fought George Groves here and it was at Manchester Arena at the O2, there'd have been press, fans, tickets, media. And sometimes fighters just need to switch off. And Dom, you were over there. Callum was so relaxed. He, he just enjoyed it and trained and away from everyone and just concentrate on the fighting hand and he, he did that. Um, as for Anthony Joshua, well, Anthony Joshua's a, a huge media, huge hype machine behind him and um, everyone want a bit of him. There'll be loads of interviews, um, it'll be on the zone platform, they've got to sell that. And it's, it's good for the fact that not I assume all the people around them will be able to go and it's good if Robert McCracken which I would do, is take Joshua away from everything. I do this press tour and I go, right, there's no more press for you. All the endorsement people, all the sponsorship people, you've got enough of Joshua in the past, there's nothing. And I'd have like a, I'd, I'd do like a Marvin Hagler with him, I'd take him away, out of nowhere, and become mean, moody, magnificent, come back and do the job. I feel by doing these um, endorsement deals and the wanting interviews and days films training and stuff like that. Each fighter's at their own. I know some fighters that, that enjoy it, but for a coach and you want to win the belts back, you'll have no endorsement deals if you don't win this fight. Do you understand? The main thing is get them belts back and I'd take them away from everyone and just go back to basics and just me or Robert McCracken and Joshua with his little team around him, cut the team around, cut the hangers on and have a bit of solitude, get angry, get nasty, and be annoyed that you've had to be away from your loved ones and from normal life and that'll give him that edge going into the fight. And then the big question, will he get those belts back, you feel? Um, after watching the first fight back, I had picking Ruiz at the moment. Um, I think uh, Ruiz, I think Josh won the first round, but after that, I thought Ruiz was in control of the fight. He cut the ring down well, he closed the distance. And if you watch the fight as a Ruiz fan, you just think, wow, that game plan went off to, off to a tee. He had Joshua moving on the back foot all the time, jabbing low. He landed some good body shots. And I think in round two, Joshua caught him a right hand, but Ruiz caught Joshua right hand on the top of his head. And Joshua held and held well. But no one picked up in it, commentary didn't. And I thought, wow, you felt that. And uh, he came out round one, jumping in with left hooks. He was trying to fight a short man's fight. When he's a tall man, what he should be doing, instead of calling Lennox Lewis a clown, he should be asking Lennox Lewis advice how to beat small men. He, obviously, you've got to remember he's been in against like your Mike Tysons, um, David Tours, small squat people. And look at Lewis, look at Klitschko. And that's what Joshua is, he's a tall, upright fighter. Don't be trying to fight a short man's fight because AJ can't fight a short man's fight. If he keeps it long and keep it basic, straight one-twos, he'll win the fight. But if he tries for the exchange, I just think he's got to come and stuck again. And there is a chance anyway that, that Ruiz has gone a bit soft with everything that's gone on. Because you're talking about all the circus around Josh. Yeah. Now, Ruiz has had his head blown off now, hasn't he? For the last couple of months. Listen, he, he said there when he won, mum, we made it, and he's bought her a house, and he's having parties and everything else. And what I, 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 I say Ruiz would win if it's a, a motivated, fully fit Ruiz. 
if it's a Ruiz that comes up like a Buster Douglas, who had his great night against Mike Tyson, but then was so poor against Ivan Holyfield, take nothing against Holyfield, he's an exceptional fighter. But if Ruiz like that turns up, then AJ will win. But if it's the Ruiz that's on it, and he knows he's got to get even more money, well, it'd be hard to, to pick against him. This is Fight Night on Talk Sports. Uh, we're in Abu Dhabi for UFC 242. Plenty more to come when it comes to the any other business in the world of fight sports before we finish the show. Uh, but right now, let's get back to uh, the northwest of England where Don McGuinness has been interviewing uh, Anthony Crawler up in the gym um, and catching up with him about what he wants to do uh, for his final fight before retiring. Right, Anthony, first week training back. Yes. So you've had a little bit of a layoff. So. Yeah. Uh, How's it all feeling? It's going so much more, you know, so much better than he expected, to be honest. I um, I feel good and even Joe's saying, you know, you're moving your feet well. And I've, I know it's my first week back, but as you know, I'm always doing little bits, ticking over. Even in the summer, like, I'd open the gym up for my mates and stuff, they're getting in shape for all that. I'd end up doing some bag work and stuff. So I'm not, I'm not, not been doing anything. But um, it's like the third day now, you know, you're training a few times and you're like, oh, it's that, you know, you're getting that feeling back that you won't say I've missed it, but do you know that aching feeling? But uh, no, really, really good. And honestly, like, it's supposed to be, so, you know, massive supposed to be back with everyone day in, day out. And yeah, really enjoying it. Has your mindset changed though? Because it's been a, a while. Because the, the Lomachenko fight, that, yeah. it's out of your system now, I'm sure, but it's been a, a bit of a gap for you. Yeah. And you've been training Dylan Evans. So... Has anything changed? Have you in any way switched off from being a fighter? Yes, I have. I have. Um, you know, I'll be honest as in, I think it never fully leaves you. But, um, you know, being brutal, you know, honest, I'd, I've enjoyed myself a bit over the summer. I've been getting drunk every weekend and stuff like that. But, you know, I've had a few holidays of, you know, had time off the diet and stuff. But I've always been keeping reasonably fit. And I think... That counts for a lot. And there was there was times where I'm like, you know, do what we have one more fight, do it. And that that's crossed my mind for the first time and, and stuff like that. And even I was at Lomachenko Campbell and, and I loved it, you know, working on the punditry team and there was like Talk you know, us through the outfits. <laughs> do you know what? I think for the first time ever, People were talking about um, outrageous outfits and I wasn't one of the ones wearing it. So uh, it was a nice, nice change. But um, Johnny Nelson and Tony Bellew got a bit of attention, we should say, then, for yes. their outfits. Yeah, they did. They was out there. I mean, I, I um, you know me, I like things a little bit different. And I was I was having a Tony suit, but a lot of other people was comparing him to Willy Wonka, weren't they? And obviously Johnny's waistcoat was, um, was sprayed down a bit. But, you know, it's just... It's uh, yeah, it was a surprise not to be. It was um, you know, a pleasant surprise not to be getting stick for once from me uh, from me outfit. But you enjoyed that night, and and again, yeah. this is this is again part of the the problem, I suppose you have when you're training fighters, you're enjoying yourself, you're having holidays, and yeah. then you're doing the punditry, which you've always kind of enjoyed as well. Of course. It all helps you switch off from the it mentality does. of being a fighter. It does, and you know, could it? You know, if you're doing that regular, so you know, it'd make sort of the the process of dealing with retirement a lot easier. Um and I was thinking that I was I was thinking that there and 
you know, for the first time, I probably, like you say, I, I fought like that. But then obviously I've come back in the gym and there's, there's a massive buzz. Like, I'm, I'm just happy to be back and stuff. But, you know, I, I do know it's, it's, it's very, you know, it's very nearly over. And, um, it's, and I believe that's, that's for the best. I think I can, I could stay around for, you know, a few more years and I reckon I could pick up some good wins, but, you know, it's, it's not for the right reasons. I know that you spoke well, obviously, about the Lomachenko-Campbell fight, and it was yeah. it was a brilliant fight. Both men did extremely well, if you like. Yes. Uh, seeing that again, close hand, you're thinking about that over the last week as well. Do you think that, well, that's behind me now, that that kind of level? Have you been honest with yourself yeah, about it? Yeah, I am. Um, well, you know, fighting, recently, never going to fight um, Lomachenko again, but I don't, do you know what a big thing will be done when, when, a, when a spa... When I start sparring, like on the bags, I feel great. Shadow boxing, feel great. But bags, pads, shadow boxing, you don't get it back. I've just got to see what it's like when I have a few weeks sparring. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not expecting the first week to be fl- flying, you know, firing all the cylinders. But I think that'll answer a lot of questions when I start sparring. And I've always said sparring is so much different from an actual fight. But, you know, I'll be able to gauge, I reckon I'll be able to gauge a lot then. But the idea is then it's one last time before Christmas. Joe's on board with that. He said yeah. in the past, you know, he would have been happy you walking away a while yeah. ago, you know, years ago. That's but- it. And a, and a few people said it to me over the weekend about, you know, you don't need to have an. And, and you know, when the people you respect, it does play on you a little bit. Do you know what I mean? It does play on you a little bit. But I think, I feel like I would like that one more. Now, that will be Manchester, surely, yes, then it has to be, about, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So again, everyone will then keep asking you, who's it going to be? Because there are there are fights there in your division, in and around, obviously, lightweight, yeah. that seem obvious in terms of easy to make, potentially, with yeah. Tommy Coyle as a name that's been thrown around. And But where do you sit on that? What kind of opponent are you, yeah. do you think? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I've said, like, time and time again, I like Tommy. I've got a lot of respect for him. Um, obviously, I don't know what weight and... I'd, I don't know. I honestly, I've honestly not thought about opponents. I was going to speak about them this week. There's other lads who've been mentioned. I mean, there's no point me trying to get some kind of eliminator for, or you know, or to to put me right up the rankings as well. Because if this is going to be the last mm. time, I just, I honestly don't know. I'm just, I'm just really happy to be back boxing, um, in the gym, and but obviously I want, I, I, I you know, without being disrespectful, I just. It wouldn't make sense for me to have a fight where I'm just going to blow someone away in a round. Well, that, that, that's that's, that's your problem in a way, though, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you want the tough fights I every like... single time. But I understand where Joe's coming from as well. Yeah. He wants you to have and a six-rounder. Yeah, just... that's mad. Like, that'll never, ever happen. But Joe's Joe. And, you know, we, we've obviously still got to have that chat. But um, we've still got to have that chat. So, you know, it's got to, whether it's going to be somewhere in between or what, I don't know. It is a tricky one because, yeah. and again, you want to give your fans one one it, last yeah. hurrah as well, don't you? I don't you want just you want, want to, yeah. Like you say, imagine me saying, ah, "It's my last fight. Come on, watch me in a six rounder." You know, it'd be a bit. It'd be I'm a bit not naughty. so sure because I think uh, you know, I think all the fan base, the people that have always supported oh, you, I think whoever I'm... you fought, they'd say, "Well, whatever," because you've given yeah. value over the years, and 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 of course, you know, if if anyone deserves a, an easier night's work, it's probably yourself, really. Yeah. I mean, I there's, you know, there's no easy nights in boxing, and I think I'm probably one of them as well. I, I, 
probably drop my level for that. Um, not my level of training, but you know, on the night, I don't know. So I think I'd be more nervous mm. to be doing that. So, so you could have yeah. a shocker against the journeyman, really. Is, you that's never what know. You're you never know. And then you start looking. It's a good job you're retiring, but I um, like I say, I want to see start see what it's like to get hit in the head again. Um, I've not been punching the head since April, so we'll see. You know, we'll see. But um, hopefully, something you know meaningful. Regardless of opponent, then if you look beyond the the last dance have you looked to, to what the future holds for you in terms of it uh, you've, you've always had bits and pieces going on and and, and again obviously yeah. you mentioned the training um, so is anything more solid that you're looking for next year i'm i'm going to be involved a lot more with the amateurs um at my amateur club i've got a gym there i've got my old amateur club in and um honestly i love that though i get loads of joy satisfaction for it i've got a young professional um who train and manage uh, dylan evans of I'll obviously spend a well, I spend a lot of time with him now, but I've just I've just got to decide whether to take more lads on. It's a it's a big big commitment. Mm. Do you know what? And that's something I'm going to have a good think about. Um, it might not, I might take my time over making that decision, but first of all, I'll get involved more and more with the amateurs. Where um, the club's growing, and you know I'm really enjoying being a part of that. But um, obviously, like you know. Hopefully, like you say, little bits of punditry and stuff like that. I enjoy all that. You know, that would be great. But, um, we'll see, you know, they've got a few options like that. And a great thing for you now as well, because you're, you're training and your schedule's not going to be, as a fighter, too busy or yeah. anything like that. United are in the Europa League again. And now yeah, you I love the Europa wait. League because you get to all these crazy places. Yeah. So <laughs> as United not, not quite being where you want them to be, but the Europa League well, for the aways that you love, you can go to Kazakhstan, Serbia, and a yeah. quick one to, to Holland as well. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, I'll be honest, on the, I think it was a Wednesday, there's, you know, Champions League draw. And I was, I was a bit jealous of, you know, Manchester City fans, Liverpool fans, um, you know, obviously being local to us and, thinking oh, it's hard to take but then when there's a potential away trip to Kazakhstan in November or December I just thought well really you know we're the real winners out of this so <laughs> I'll be on that I'll be on that I'm, I'm just gutted I think with with the fight I won't be able to go Serbia um, but Kazakhstan away it's something I've always fancied and um, that's what I'll be doing yeah, that's yeah, not something you hear every day. Yeah, but uh, and, a, and a final one then, just about the whole thing at the minute, because it seems to be a lot of people are asking United fans what they think about Solskjaer and, and all the rest of it, and is the doom and gloom everywhere? And then what I'm getting is that the most fans are kind of well, youth are going to give, he's going to give youth a go, and it yeah. is what it is really, and it, it's going to be up and down, but yeah. at least it'll be a bit of fun, as in to course, watch whether think... whether you whether there's there's defeats like Palace. Yeah, and. Um... I believe that's what. Listen, we've got to accept that it's it's a rebuilding job, and it's going to be another tough year. I think. Um, hopefully, I'm wrong. It was just obviously the first game of the season. You know, we get that great result, and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it leads us to believe again, doesn't it? And listen, I know it didn't really reflect the game, but four 0 at home, we, it was a great result. Even Wolves, I thought that we was better, and we struggled with Wolves in the past. And uh, but obviously, then you get brought down to with a bang. Last week, so I, I um, I'm just it's just one of them. I think, you know, we've got to give all the time. We've got to we've got to back him now. We can't be changing managers every season or a few times a season. I just think give him give him a goal, and um, 
we, we assess we assess this at the end of the season. People talking Christmas and stuff. I think no, we, you know, we look at it at the end of the season. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. This is Fight Night on Talk Sport, um, and we're near enough done uh, for this week's show. So if you've only just tuned in, you think, oh, what heck, you've missed a load of guests. It will be available on the podcast. Habib, uh, Dustin Poirier, who were fighting in the main event, UFC 242. Um, we've also heard from Eddie Hearn, Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz, Anthony Crawler, and Joe Gallagher. Loads of voices there for you to uh, enjoy via the podcast. So get on our website, uh, talksport.com, or... Uh, head to iTunes if you need to download it from there. Uh, just now, I think it's only fair that we just talk about some other stuff that's going on in the world of fight sports, uh, one of which throws us forward to next weekend. I'll tell you something, our wives are going to absolutely love me and you, Nicholas, because we're in Abu Dhabi this weekend at a major UFC event. And then next weekend, this show is going to be coming to you live from Viva Las Vegas. That's right, uh, because we're flying out for Tyson Fury Fight Week. It is Mexican bank holiday weekend. Canelo initially had this date secured. We didn't know who he was going to be fighting. Lots of rumours of Callum Smith and, and various others. Uh, there's obviously now talk of him having a knock with uh, Sergei Kovalev. We actually expected that to be announced this week. I, I haven't seen anything official as of yet. No. Um, but Canelo, this is the Canelo game. He'll probably stick it on his Instagram at some point, won't he? That's, uh, that's how these fights get, uh, get, get announced. Um, but with it being Mexican Bank Holiday Weekend and with it not being a Mexican that he's fighting uh, next weekend, in steps uh, the gypsy Mexican, <laughs> Tyson Fury, to uh, obviously take that date. So if you enjoyed his ring walk when he came uh, to the ring as Apollo Creed, you're going to love it even more next weekend when he rocks up in a sombrero and a mariachi band marching him into the ring. Definitely. 100% that's what he's got planned, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, 100%. He wouldn't be Tyson Fury if he didn't have that plan, would he? Mm. Uh, I can't wait to get out there. You know, I know Otto Wallen's not the opponent we want for Tyson Fury. We want to see him in big heavyweight unification fights, but it's the fight we're getting. And I- I'm kind of enjoying this this rebirth of Tyson Fury, this reinvention of him as a superstar in Las Vegas, uh, as an you know for the American audience, we got the Tom Schwartz. We're getting Otto Wallen next. There's a reason behind all this. You know, Bob Adam, a top rank. This is not his first rodeo. He knows what he's doing. He's selling Tyson Fury to the American audience. He's making sure those pay-per-view numbers are ratcheted up as high as they can for a potential rematch with Deontay Wilder. Should it happen early 2020? And this is just part of the journey. Mm. And listen, I can't. The reason I can't wait to get out there more than anything is it's been a long time since i've seen a boxing heavyweight in las vegas because las vegas as we both know there's nothing nowhere better on fight week than than las vegas it's it, absolutely incredible when the big fights in town and there's no bigger fight in the world than the heavyweight division and just to see tyson the way he's going to handle it out there i'm so excited man it's going to be unreal we've been quite lucky actually um to be at Fury Wilder, and ju- I just want to try and give, because a lot of fight fans will look at this and go, who's Otto Wilder? This is a load of rubbish. And you've got to kind of, I know that we don't like talking about the politics and the business of this sport, but it is a massive factor as to the narratives and where we end up getting to. We want to get to, obviously, the rematch with Wilder. That's where we want to get to. But as you rightfully pointed out, when, when he signed this deal with Top Rank, I threw loads of shade on it straight away, going, why does he need come-out fights? Why does he need exposure fights? He's just risen from the dead, literally, in a, in a fight in Los Angeles against uh, Deontay Wilder. His stock couldn't be any higher. Get it straight back on. 
But we've had these two interim fights. We might even have a third interim fight back in the UK by the end of the year before we see him have a, uh, get back in the ring with uh, Deontay Wilder. And it's only when I went out to America that I start to fully understand what they're trying to do with him. So when we were in LA, you got in a taxi from the hotel, you went down to the Staples Center, and you'd be asked by the cab driver, why are you here? And you tell them why you're here. Now bear in mind, this is Fury versus Wilder. Massive fight. Cab driver had no idea it was going on. You go to restaurants, you go to bars, you speak to people on the street. Why are you guys in town? Where are you from? Oh, from England. Why are you out here? I'm here for the big fight. There's a big fight on? What's going on? I have no idea what the fight is. No idea. Genuinely, throughout the whole course of that fight week, not one person on the street, unless you were actually going to the, to yep. the fight, knew that that was in town. Crazy. Fast forward to Las Vegas. We rocked up in Las Vegas for uh, the Tom Schwartz fight, and it was everywhere. Yep. Everywhere. You get in a cab. You guys here for the fight? Yeah, we're here for the fight. Boom and heck. Right. I tell you something, that Gypsy King, he's crazy, yeah? <laughs> and, th- and that was it. The whole conversation was Tyson Fury throughout the course of the week. You flick on the TV, Tyson Fury's on there. Whether he's talking mental health, whether he's talking fighting, he's on the TV. He's in people's faces all week. It's, I know it's business. I know it's a marketing machine. I know it's absolutely building his profile. But when you look at the Fury fight, uh, sorry, the Wilder fight, and you see that it's only done 300,000 pay-per-views, this second fight, when it comes in, is going to do some massive numbers because of yep. this exposure that he's been subjected to over that 12-month period. And let's be honest, yeah, all right, the opponents aren't red hot and they don't get us going. But he, it's not about that for me at this no, moment in time. It's, a, it's the Tyson Fury show. It, it is showbiz. Give us some entertainment. And his first fight, Apollo Creed walking, knocks the guy out in two rounds. Everybody goes home satisfied. Yeah. If he does the same thing against Otto Weiland, of course, of course there'll be people on there throwing shade. Oh, it's on the Otto Weiland. But that's not it. It's about how he's making people feel over in the States before we can then obviously start to market a, a Deontay Wilder fight. Because let's be honest, we know that that fight sells. We know, we know that it works. It does wonderful here in the UK. But over in America, it's a very different dynamic. And it's gradually changing randomly because of an English guy. Yeah. It's weird that Deontay Wilder still can't capture the attention in the American home audience, even though he's been the long-standing WBC champion, and even though his backstory, you know, when you get when you get beyond all that, you know, the shouting and bawling, um, when you get beyond that and get to know him personally and this situation with his family and he looks after his daughter, his daughter and all yeah. that kind of stuff. He's a top guy. Deont- Deontay Wilder's a, a real good guy and a real good role model for the sport as well. Um, so it, it's crazy that he's just not. He's just not clicked with the American home audience, where, as you say, Tyson Fury has. They just get him straight away. They love his antics. He's made for Las Vegas. I know I said that earlier in the show, but Las Vegas is desperate for superstars. Las Vegas is a fight town, and it lives and breathes on these big fight events. Floyd Mayweather's gone. There's there's a hundred million profit for Nevada every time he fights. That's gone. They need stars. Mm. And as soon as Tyson Fury announced himself with the Tom Schwartz performance in Vegas, you knew then Tyson and Las Vegas are a match made in heaven. He's locked in there, and I expect to see him compete the rest of his career. We might just get a fight against potentially a David Price as part of this build-up to Deontay Wilder uh, early in 2020 back in the UK. But to be honest, I think even even that might even take place over in the US. They've got the claws into him now. They realise that they can market Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, as the best heavyweight on the planet. They can sell that. It's something they can really... There's a real narrative. Never lost. Should have won. The decision went against them against Deontay. But we, you know, I think most people believe he should have won that fight. 
He's there. He's a, he's a very real commodity to top rank, and he's the he's the flagship heavyweight for top rank as well. He's a promoter's dream, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. Because they don't actually have to do anything. No, just <laughs> put him in front of a camera and watch him go. Watch him go. He's singing. He's songs. made for it. He's, he's made for this sport. He's made for it because not only is you know, in my honest opinion, is he the most effective, i.e., best heavyweight on the planet. But he's all, he, he also understands the world that we live in. He understands about a soundbite. He understands what TV executives want. You know, they put him on Good Morning America or whatever. He's not going to go on there and start talking about how he's the best heavyweight in the world. He's going to go on there and talk about uh, mental health issues and, and the journey he's been on. And straight away, that, 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 that soccer mom kind of legion that they have over in America, they're bought in now. They're yeah. talking about Deontay Wilder. He ju- uh, sorry, about Tyson Fury. They just get it, but he gets it more importantly, and that's why it's working. So I'm not against this Schwartz, Wallen, potentially Price kind of road to back to the heavyweight title because I want to see Wilder, Fury 2 get the respect it deserves, and that is well over a million plus buys in the US. Mm. And then hopefully, you never know, if Anthony Joshua can get himself together and do the business against Andy Ruiz, which, you know, this week he, he started to make me feel that he can. Mm-hmm. If he can do that, then all of a sudden, I know we said this two years ago, but all of a sudden, we have got an unbelievable heavyweight division. We've got, we've got a great one now, mm-hmm. but we've got an unbelievable one there now. And it's, and it's British driven. Yeah. We've not even mentioned Daniel Dubois' name. I know he's only a baby, but at, at, at some point... He's the guy. He's coming to play. I always said to you, he's the guy. He's my, he's my ace in the hole. He's the guy that, listen, after all the smokers cleared, when these guys have had a, a fall fought each other, hopefully Fury, AJ, uh, Wilder, potentially even Usyk, once they, you know, in, in three years' time, once they've, they've punched each other from pillar to post, my guy Triple D is going to sweep in at the end and, and just mop it all up and, and become an undisputed heavyweight champion. I truly believe that. Um, just a quick one, because we do like every now and again to just mention Carl Frotch's name because he, he provides me with a smile every single week. Last week on this show, we had Andre Ward. Mm-hmm. Part of the conversation was, from, this was all Andre driven. He was having a bit of a laugh and a joke about it. Um, was, where's Carl Frotch? Why is Carl Frotch not here? Now, for those that don't know, those two have fought previously. They, they had a bit of a spat, a bit of a back and forth. It was in the Super uh, 6 um, where Andre Ward won. Carl Frotch then said, basically, he put the fire back into my belly to go and smash Lucian Butte and all that type of stuff. But it's on social media, they're always back and forth. And Carl kind of drives a lot of that conversation. This week, he's been back on. I think he's written an article, actually, on the Sky Sports website, which you could probably go and see. Uh, and part of it was, oh, yeah, Andre Ward only turned up because he knew I was out of the country. <laughs> I just love him. He should do stand He's a very dry-witted guy, he's yeah. Carl Frotch. And he's a very like, Yeah, he's a very likable dude to be in the presence of. And he is constantly on the wind-up. Constantly, yeah. constantly on the wind-up. Every time, every time we've had him on this show, you always kind of come away going, was he was being he, serious? Was he being serious then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, is, he, yeah, yeah, is he winding me up? <laughs> you know, he, he is, he is uh, absolutely round the bend. But you know what? It, it's, it's amazing that we didn't get to see that part of Carl's personality necessarily while he was boxing because he was very serious at, at one stage, yeah. you know. And But it, it's great now that he's kind of opening himself up because he, he, is, he is hilarious. He is so funny. And um, 
I just hope last time we spoke to him, he was talking about making a comeback, all that kind of stuff. He's he's a wind up merchant and he's brilliant. Mm, mm. He is good value, and uh, I've no doubt that's just going to carry on. Because in fact, just go on his social media feed now. I bet he's tweeting something. <laughs> yeah. But he's giving somebody some abuse somewhere, isn't he? <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you very much for listening to us. As I said, next week's show is coming to you from Las Vegas as we uh, bring you some exclusive content from Tyson Fury. We'll have a little bit of a sit down actually with Tyson, so he'll be on next week's show. Uh, David Hay, I believe, he's on the show next week as well. And of course, we'll be speaking to Frank Warren uh, and maybe getting some uh, thoughts on some of the other boys uh, like Carl Frampton. I actually saw um, a rumour that Carl Frampton and Isaac Dogby might be having yeah. a little bit of a knock. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, Hopefully, Carl will be out in uh, in Vegas next week and we'll get to the boss moment. There you go. Uh, so uh, make sure you come back and, uh, and listen to us next week. If you've only just tuned in and missed the majority of this show, which had Habib, uh, it had Dustin Poirier, it had uh, Anthony Joshua, Anthony Crawler, Joe uh, Gallagher, Eddie Hearn, all those guests. Uh, you can get it um, via the podcast. So go to talksport.com for any Android feeds that you need, or you can get it on iTunes as well. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.